Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Manga r- r- Recap. I'm I'm Nick, and I'm here with... Okay. What are we doing? And I am the Minister of Spooktemba, Nick. Spooktember. The Minister of Spooktember, here to share with you the spookiest and scariest of stories. Among this, the month of ghouls and ghosts. I like that game. That's a fun game. It's very hard, though. And it can steal your soul if you don't win. When you die in the game, game, you die in real life. I must be so in debt to the devil then, because I like that game is really hard to play without dying. Yes, it is a really big manufacturer of souls to Satan. So are you just going to wear that the whole show? As long as it is the spookiest of months... Spooktember, Tober, November, Tober, November. It's it's November first. I'll get rid of this shit then. Thought I had a thought I had an edge on that. I mean, that was a better costume than the cape was. So yeah, no. Well, it's being burned tonight. Okay then. There you go. With the manga recap, so nothing's happening this week. No, no intro, no tangents, none. We're gonna stay. Now that we know that it's not spook, spooktober, Tember, spooktober, Tober, spooktober. It was, it was, it was Tember the first time you said it. Well, that can be a lot of things. It, it morphs like a, like a creepy blob creature. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. I don't know where to go from that. <laughs> like Dr. Mask in a weird hat that doesn't didn't fit with play Dr. Mask. Well, some things were cheaper at the discount Halloween store than others, Nick. Okay? <laughs> Did you pick that up today? <laughs> no, Nick. I spent $80 on a Halloween costume that I was going to wear for 15 seconds as a joke. No, I picked this up for $3 at a Halloween store. <laughs> and I'm going to repurpose this hat just so much. I might eat out of this hat. This might be a plate from now on. With a design like that, that's gonna have some fucking cheap material to be only three dollars. <laughs> like you, you, you'll break that thing if you hold it too hard. I bet. Uh, it's got a little bit of a look. The thing that's important is it has elastic at the top. I tried a lot of top hats out at oh, the at, at the the Halloween store, and many don't fit a man with uh my girthy cranium, as some <laughs> might say. I could take that in some weird directions, but I'm going to <laughs> not. <sighs> okay, so uh, Fancy Hat Chris and I are going to be talking to you about the final Halloween month recommendation that we took this past month. Uh, we would have had it last week, but we didn't. So, eh, that's life. Yeah. Called School Live, which is our second, I believe, zombie apocalypse manga series that we're covering this month. I mean, wasn't it technically the third? We also had the... Cause, yeah, because we had the the one with the school prison kids. The prison kids. Right. One, and then we had the, the Resident Evil game. 
one. Yeah, I guess you're right. There were a lot of zombies this this uh, this year. This is the more this is the second one that's a zombie outbreak that achieves worldwide calamity levels. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's been zombie month basically for October this year, and uh, this one focuses again on uh, high school students uh, and their quest to survive in this um, dismal post-apocalyptic world. Uh, I was not expecting the series that we got out of this based on my z- nil knowledge of the series. Literally, I looked at the cover and was like, oh, this is going to be some weird Moe thing that has some creepy elements to it. Turns out, actually, it's probably the most grounded horror series that we like had to read for this month. Obviously, if you ignore the fact that it centers around a zombie plague. Uh, this is a weird series in that it is a very different sort of take on a zombie apocalypse series. The closest way I could describe it is if you've ever seen of the movie Life is Beautiful, it's essentially Life is Beautiful, but in the zombie apocalypse. Kind of. It's It's in that same vein of just like someone trying to optimistically guide a naive person through a horrible situation. And by the way, I'm not trying to compare the Holocaust to a not actually the fucking a zombie outbreak. Those are obviously on different scales, but it's in that same vein of just like, we need to do everything we can to basically treat, like make this girl think that there's nothing wrong and that everything that's happening is either just a game or, or it's some part of our school life, or we're just, we need to keep her in this delusion, essentially, as we try to survive as the last three people in this school of a zombie apocalypse attack. It's essentially uh, a series about coping with the knowledge that the world as you know it has come to an end. What do you do in order to deal with that information? And you've got some characters that manage to basically hold it together and just focus on the now. And then you've got characters who kind of put themselves in a weird psychological state, including to the extent of putting themselves into a state of delusion, because if not, they will go absolutely insane and break down and won't be able to go on anymore. And you see that happen in a, in a couple of different ways, but twice basically the same way. Um, when we start off the series, we've got our main character, uh, Mizuki, and uh, she is, essentially narrates everything like, oh, I'm part of the school, the school, the living at school club or whatever exactly it's called, school life club, I think. And... Uh, she says, like, we basically are, are a club that gets by by living at the school and using all the all of the amenities that we have here and using the resources here. And we just actually stay overnight at the school. And it's a fun place to be. I can go to all these different clubs and I can go into the classrooms. Everyone gets along. And she goes about her day greeting students and teachers and stuff. And then it, it just kind of, like, gets to a point where she, like, looks out a window. And she's like, oh, somebody left the window open here. And it cuts to reality, which is... The, everything is ruined and broken and messy because and there bloody. have been zombies raging around the school. And she closes this window, which is like broken, so it does absolutely nothing. At and first, essentially, she just projects this image that everything is fine. Everything's fine right now, and I'm okay. 
because the other people that are in her club are actually the only survivors in the school and they just go along with it because otherwise she will not make it. At first I thought this was supposed to be like a, like a pure comedy series. Like when I read that initial joke, I was like, Oh, it's funny. Like she's like, Oh, the whole school is destroyed, but someone left the window open. That's why things are so cold. And sets the window. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. and I was like, Oh wait, no, this is a little bit sadder. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit sad. But what's very interesting about this series to me is this is. I think despite the fact, cause I, I won't, you know, bury the lead here. There's some dark stuff that happens in this series. It's a zombie oh, yeah. apocalypse series, so there has to. Despite that, this is, I think, far and away the most optimistic zombie series I've seen because there's a lot of times where they'll leave off on notes where it's like this harrowing stuff happens and then they get to the end and they're just like, tomorrow's going to be a great day. And you're just like, this is so weird. The person who says that in, like, The Walking Dead will immediately get eaten by, like, a zombie as their testicles are, like, pulled from their body by, like, a crane. Like, you, you, those those are the people who always get the worst kinds of deaths. And here it's, like, you know, it's the predominant cast kind of have that somewhat of an attitude for, uh, you know, different points of time. It's a story about holding on to hope in the most hopeless of situations. And... There's a really fine balance that strikes between creating this sense of despair and this sense of hope despite it. Because even though they go through all these awful situations, things get worse and worse, it seems like. They keep on getting by and manage to hold on to this sense of actually having a future. And it makes sense when you think about it because having a sense of hope for the future is just as important as actually surviving in the present when you're in that kind of situation. Because if you're not living for anything, then what's the point of going on surviving? So they basically keep on telling themselves and each other that they have something to live for in order to keep on going on to the point where I think that it does a pretty good job of kind of convincing you, the reader, that they do. Because there's just enough going on in their favor that it's not a hopeless situation yet. Uh, some individual characters go through some really bad stuff, but they kind of stay strong as a group and get each other through stuff. And you believe, like, yeah, they could actually make it. Yeah, and that's, I think, kind of where the optimism has some level of, like, a real basis from it. And uh, it's not a gruesome series, despite being a zombie apocalypse series. You know, there's there's gore and things like that, but it's not gratuitously so, you know. Um Again, having watched Walking Dead and watched my favorite character literally have his entrails pulled out from, like, <laughs> his still-living body, I'm like, yeah, nothing along those lines happens, so you're fine. <laughs> if you're worried about that, you're you're okay. This is a Moe kind of series, so you're not gonna, It's the very cutesy, appropriate version of zombies, essentially. Like, they're just, like, dirty people who have brains sticking out at some parts or something, you know? They're not, they're not like, the most gruesome things. Um, and... There's something I think very admirable, or at least I guess um, appreciate in taking a very different sort of approach to a zombie apocalypse series. Taking this sort of approach, um, I, I just I enjoy the fact that we got something very different here uh, than our normal fare. It's 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 a series I have a little difficulty talking in tremendous length about, though, because for a long part of it. It is sort of just, uh, you know, a school life series set in a zombie apocalypse. Like, there are a lot of chapters where they're just like, here's what we're doing to spend our time or something like that. And it's like, I mean, this is cute, but like, 
it's just sort of weird to read. There's, there's, there is like a tonal imbalance between them that I think is the point, but it's still hard to like entirely wrap my head around at times when I'm just like, like they're just like talking about how much they love each other and how like great tomorrow is going to be. And it's like outside are thousands of zombies, thousands <laughs> of them. <laughs> Stop playing basketball. We've got a main core cast of four characters. Uh, it starts off with three of them, which is Yuki, the main character, uh, Kurumi, who is best girl. Uh, she has pigtails and she kills zombies with a shovel. She's awesome. It's <laughs> Kurumi was very amusing to me because, again, when I first read this series, I had no idea what the premise was supposed to be. She's just like, carrying a shovel around and you have no idea why. <laughs> the shovel? Fuck the shovel, Nick. I was confused why the fuck she had knee pads on, and not, like, skating knee pads, like, fucking the, these, like, wrestling knee pads with, like, metal shin guards to it, and I was like, why the fuck would anyone wear this? I was ready to shit all over her, Nick. If the zombie apocalypse had then started, like, that's what I was expecting, like... Uh, as I've been preparing for this whole time! <laughs> yeah, or she's like, thank god I was wearing my battle knee, ca- knee pads today! <laughs> I was going to shit all over her in this review for it, but after I realized, like, oh no, like that's what's happened. It's since already then, happening. <laughs> I'm like, all right, she can get a pass for this. But those knee pads were still very jarring the first time I saw. I didn't even notice the shovel at first. Uh, she's basically the action girl of the series. She's the main command that they call on. Uh, she tends to be the one that goes out to scout and stuff. Then there's Yuri, who is essentially team mom. She kind of handles all of the organizational stuff and all of the small but very important things like keeping track of all their resources and how much they're consuming and how much they have left so that they don't, you know, eventually just run out of food or whatever and starve. Uh, and she tends to be the most level-headed at first. Uh, <laughs> And then they eventually meet uh, Miki, who I kind of actually have a hard time describing because she kind of ends up becoming the core of the group, the one that kind of holds them all together when the other three of them end up having really bad mental issues that they're working through. She ends up being the last sane one left and kind of pulling them all back into reality. I guess because in the respect that they found her and saved her, and so she feels indebted to them and wants to keep the group together. And they come across her after about 10-ish chapters, I think, and then she joins up and she's part of the group from then on. Now, did you see the twists coming in this, like in terms of the people who weren't actually there? Because it happens twice in this series. It happens one time with their teacher, and it's a, and that's a really early twist. Uh, with uh, Megami. Yeah, uh, no, but that's because I had trouble telling who everyone was at the start. Okay. So I was like, I, I, it, I didn't completely register that we were seeing illusions at the start of things. I thought we were seeing, like, just a disjointed timeline. Mm-hmm. So I did not pick up on some of the people who were supposed to be there weren't. For a while, I was like, where's the fourth girl? There are four girls, right? Where's the fourth one? And then eventually it's like, oh, the fourth one's the teacher and she's dead. She's not actually still... Okay, I'm getting it now. I've, I've pieced it together. So you thought that when she wasn't present, it was because they were, like, in a different time or because it, cause it does jump no, around a bit I just between, like, their past and the... Yeah, I, I just kept thinking I was mistaking her for the 
taller the the team mom girl. I don't remember the names of most of the characters in the series, unfortunately. You, uh but you, at, Re. Yuri. Yeah, I, I kept thinking that. I was like, oh, am I mixing her? Like, because I remember Pigtail Girl and obviously I know the main chick, but I couldn't remember, like, the third one. I just kept mixing the two of them up and thinking they were the same person and think, remembering they're not and then being like, where's the other well, one then? Reed doesn't really start to stand out until after the revelation that Megami is not actually there anyway. And she doesn't actually really start to stand out as a character until she starts to kind of break and crumble apart at the seams. Um,. But basically, as part of Yuki's delusions, uh, she believes that this, uh, their club advisor, this teacher named Megami, is, she believes she's still there. And she's not. She, cause she died. She turned into a zombie. Uh, but because they want her to, you know, not completely collapse, Kurumi and Yuri will just, humor Yuki and act like, oh yes, you should go and ask her for permission if you if we want to do this stuff. And they act, they eventually explain when Miki enters their group, because Miki is like, why are you just humoring this girl? Like, I don't even think that she's actually having a psychotic break. I think that she's just pretending in order for you to like treat her this way and just humor her delusions and stuff. I don't think that she's actually having a psych- psychological break because I looked it up in this textbook and therefore I know all about it. <laughs> Things work this way. <laughs> um, but eventually she realizes after spending some time with her that Yuki is just as important to the rest of the group as the other two girls because she's the one that gives them, you know, a sense of hope that things aren't completely doomed, that they can still have a sense of of fun and be able to enjoy life. And that in her own bizarre way, she actually is a very inspirational person to them. Not in terms of like, oh, yes, I, I have hope now, but in terms of inspires ideas for them to have because her mind works in weird ways. And eventually it kind of comes out that Yuki is not just doing this by chance. It's just kind of the way that her mind works, that she'll actually think of an idea that's helpful to the group, but she'll put it in a way for herself and the rest of the group to make it seem like she's just kind of pretend she's just trying to have a good time. Because eventually she does, to an extent, seem to come to terms with the way that things actually are. Too much stuff happens around her for you to actually believe that she still believes that everything is okay, considering that they run from zombies and stuff like that. Yeah. She's clearly, like, even from early on, you could tell that she recognizes there's some kind of danger, because there's situations where characters will be like, Hey, stay right here. I'm going to go handle something. Stay right here. And she starts trembling in fear. Because she knows it's zombies. Like, she's not speaking to it. She's not stating it. She seems to have a, a vague sense of almost consciousness in those moments. Usually because she seems to be reflecting back to trauma revolving that teacher that we, we spoke about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you get the sense early on that it's not, she's not completely under a 100% delusion that this is like, it isn't completely like life is beautiful where they're just like, no, no, this is just a game. This person's wearing costumes and they're going to try to chase us. And if they bite you, you lose. So you have to shoot their head off. Shoot it! <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, she recognizes there's something there. They just, they don't address it, you know, at the start of things. And you get that sense early on. They're like, all right, there, there's levels to this, this, girl's delusion essentially that we're we're seeing here 
Well, there's even a point uh, early on where they're like wandering around the library of the school, and Yuki's by herself, meaning she's with she's with Megu, uh, and she sees this this zombie, and Megumi tells her to hide. So her own delusion is basically protecting her. She's just kind of sees things in a way that she kind of instinctively knows what to do. Um, there's also a point where she like gets in her head like, oh, we should clean up some parts of the school. And she's cleaning a room by herself, comes across a zombie and kills it with a fucking mop. <laughs> just beats it to death with a mop. <laughs> and she's that's like, it was bug. I think that's supposed to be the moment where she kind of starts to really break out of the of the delusions. There are some points in this series where it's not 100% clear what's going on. And that's because it really does show, don't tell incredibly well at points, relying on you to just kind of understand things as you experience them visually, then just putting you inside the character's head while they narrate what's going on. There's no point, there's not a single point in the entire series where you can go, it's like, oh, right, a zombie apocalypse happened, and Megumi is still, is actually dead. But by her actions and the way that she behaves slightly differently, you can tell that she is actually her delusions are either becoming more mild or are adapting to the situation or she's broken out of them entirely and is pretending it's not 100 percent clear. But I really like that part of the series because it allows it to have some incredibly powerful and effective moments. There's a point where um the girls take uh Megumi's car uh, out in order to try and like gather supplies and explore around the town and they stop by Kurumi's house and Kurumi thinks like maybe people inside here are alive and of course she goes inside and you know there's blood smeared on the walls and things are broken and she's like yeah okay and she just goes into her room and climbs into her bed and curls up around her pillow for a few minutes and then she goes outside and that's probably my favorite moment in the entire series. Just that image of her just taking a moment to just cope with what she has lost and then gathering herself up and leaving. And absolutely none of it has to do with dialogue or like, this is what she's feeling right now. Just showing you. And the thing that I think I kind of stuck with that the most too, was that at the end she leaves a note for her parents. So still playing into this idea that, optimistically maybe they're not and maybe it's part of a delusion she's telling to herself at that point but it's still that idea that this is a very optimistic take on the zombie apocalypse because it's not treated that that moment is a sad descent into a you know a young girl's delusion that her family's still alive it's treated like she's still finding hope in this very hopeless and desperate time and that's sort of where a lot of i think the hope and or optimism in the series comes in it's not like look at these sad people who just can't come to grips with the reality. It's just this idea, as you've, you've kind of said before, that there needs to be something to keep these people together trying to survive this hope of maybe someone coming to save them or mm-hmm. maybe a, a cure being found or, you know, whatever. And uh, then there's Re, who s- seems to have a pretty solid head on her shoulders for, for the first arc of the story, I guess you could call it, uh, where they're actually inside the school. Because eventually they all leave. 
and decide that they need to go and try and find some other things that they can do to try and actually, you know, be proactive. And uh, they travel around for a bit, and they end up coming to an area near an elementary school. And Ree starts to think to herself, because she realizes, because she's just kind of been distracting herself with a bunch of other stuff, oh, my younger sister is in danger. Her younger sister, Rue. Rhee and Rue. Yeah. Um, and she's like, my younger sister's elementary school is nearby. And she, and so they go inside and she, it's basically obvious from the get go that she has lost it. Like there's zombies everywhere inside of this school. There's a, there is a barricaded up classroom where Rhee basically says like, I can hear her voice calling to me. I'm sure that she's in there. And even Yuki, like the most deluded of all of them is like, no, no. I don't hear anyone's voices. I just hear. <laughs> so like, no, no, below that though, it, it, it's like a good bass line. You don't hear it until you're really listening for it. Sometimes it takes a few times going through it, <laughs> and everyone goes back inside their camper that they've kind of confiscated to sleep for the night. And of course, Rhea wakes up in the middle of the night, goes back inside the school, and she's like, "I found her! I found her!" And for about 20 chapters or something like that, you're treated with this idea that's like, oh, yes, this bizarrely mute girl that Rhi always seems to be carrying or someone's always carrying or has their hand on. Uh, yeah, that's her sister. I'm sure. Yeah. Hmm. Nothing about this is suspicious at all until eventually it's revealed like, no, actually, it's a stuffed teddy bear that Yuki brought inside of the school in order to try and charm children that they might find. And Rhi has just in her psychotic delusion projected her guilt and memories of her dead zombified eaten sister to be this teddy bear. So now that she can feel like she, everything's a little bit better and she doesn't have to feel guilty. <laughs> but the very cute girls, Nick, they're all, they're all so sweet and innocent looking and everything like that. <laughs> moe moe, right? Moe moe. You want to just protect them and cuddle them because you don't want one of them to turn into a zombie. <laughs> That's what you mentioned that uh, she's best girl, but I, I think it is kind of uh, the the true sentiment that uh, Shovel Girl is probably the the most interesting character in the series for me because she's the one who kind of deals with a pretty heavy element relatively quickly too. That it doesn't mm-hmm. take long for that. Like there's sort of a moment of optimism and things when they they first rescue the fourth girl and things are going along, and then that just falls to shit when uh, Pigtail Girl gets. Uh, Spoilers at this point, but I think if you're listening at this point, you're not. I went to chapter it. fifty or something yeah. like that with spoilers, so, <laughs> so chapter ten is uh, is uh, on the yeah. It's free rage. So yeah, she gets bit, and this is like her story for the rest of the series thus far. Essentially, is she isn't turned yet? Well, because there is a treatment, there's a treatment for the virus, and she's been getting it, but the temptation to turn or the urge to turn or whatever it is, I guess the just the natural need for it to turn because the medicine's wearing off has been getting stronger and it's harder for her to resist it. They literally like she sleeps essentially in handcuffs. So if she does turn while she's sleeping, I guess she'll be mo- like moderately restrained and more easy to deal with. And it's just this it's you have to feel for her eventually because she's just like this is a fucked up life to be living at this point. We're like I might turn at any moment. Like 
the story of like someone in a zombie apocalypse who gets bit and they don't know when they're going to turn is like a time tale kind of thing. As long as that genre has really existed, there's you know a lot of times you'll see a character gets bit and they don't know when they're going to turn. But this is like months of this chick who's just been living with this thing of just like any day now, really. <laughs> It's going to fall to shit. So, yeah, you've got Yuki dealing with her delusions. You've got Kurumi uh, thinking that she might turn into a zombie at any moment and kill her friends. You've got Ri carrying a teddy bear around being like, come on, look, little sister, everything's fine. (laughs) So it falls, yeah, it ends up falling to Miki, who is the newbie of the group, to kind of be like, come on, guys, let's keep going. (laughs) Hey, guys, you know what's super fun? Not all this. (laughs) Did you guys play basketball? We'll play, let's try to play basketball, guys. All right, let's two on two. <laughs> no, no, no. Your little sister has to sit this one out. Just put her over there. No, Megan, you can't play either. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All right, yeah, sure. It's three on three now. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. T- table tennis. We're doing table one on one table tennis. <laughs> We're playing Mario Kart. Fuck it. You know what? I'm just killing all of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a sane person would do, right? <laughs> I'm the only sane one left beating people to death with an N64 controller. Hey, that, th- that thing's got some edges. It'll kill you. I don't know what else you use it for except for attempted murder at this point. I think it would work pretty well as a boomerang. At the- <laughs> Stick it at the, at the end of a freaking pole. It becomes a trident. Uh, that is true. I guess you could make a pretty deadly trident out of that. Oh, gosh. Um... There's some really great moments in this series uh, that I that I like. I think that it starts to kind of lose its focus a little bit after they leave the school um, because it becomes a wider cast once they get out into the world. They end up coming across this university, which is another potential safe shelter from the from the zombies. It turns out that there are a number of buildings that were actually prepared for this outbreak. People knew about it ahead of time. And so that's why they're actually able to survive at their school is because there were a bunch of supplies in place so that people at the school could survive for some time, including like solar panels on the roof so that they can have power. Uh, but they end up coming across this uh, university. And so they deal with these college kids and some of the college kids are cool and peaceful. Some of the others are fucking like militant assholes who are just like, we have to get rid of people. There's not enough food. <laughs> Is is that the uh, the dude with the baseball hat? Is he a student there as well? He feels like he's older to me. The one uh, pigtails girl basically gets killed. I want to get him killed. She intentionally yes. kind of kills him. He he was with that group. That's actually one of my another one of my favorite moments in the series is that uh, essentially the two factions inside of the college kind of come to a boiling point because the people among the more like. The zombies are going to get us, get us or we're going to starve, and we have to wean down to the very strongest among us. That's their, just their whole uh, thing. And one of them randomly gets sick, despite the fact that they do body checks every single time that someone goes outside. So they're like, someone poisoned us. It must be those girls who are staying with those pacifists over there. So we should go and capture them and interrogate them and get the antidote and kill them. So Kurumi is wandering around outside, having another one of her zombie freakouts. And uh, she comes across this guy who is is like, oh, hey, come here. Uh, you're cold. You're infected. I'm going to kill you. And so she's just like, bye, and just runs away. <laughs> well, she runs away while, like, lifting her shovel out and, like, clanging it against every bar of the gate. And then because she's bitten, the zombies don't go to her first. And they just dogpile on him. And he's just like, oh, God, why? And she's like, bye. 
Well, she, it's this great uh, image because you don't see anything happening to him. It's just his cries for mercy and pain. And, you know, Kurumi's over here just like, oh, God, I killed a guy <laughs> to herself. It's it's his cries getting quiet, too. Like, you just Quieter say, like, please and help, and then just, like, crunch. Yeah. yeah. You're like, ooh. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's some really great moments like that in the series where it rises above the love, love, you know, oh, look at these cute girls. You know why I think that happened to them? And, like, no, these girls are dealing with horrible emotional turmoil <laughs> at this point. It's actually a really weird setup that the uh, asshole students have, too, because it turns out it was all started because two of them just think, like, we didn't get infected in the zombie outbreak. That means that we're awesome, and so we're not going to die. We're perfect. We deserve to run this world and push people outside the front door and lock them out and let them get eaten by zombies so we can have more food to eat. Ha 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 ha. Just kind of dicks. <laughs> I guess I can see that logic. It makes sense. <laughs> Um, and, uh, what it eventually comes to is the point essentially where the series leaves off at this point is at the end of that whole arc where it comes out that the virus that's affected people is actually airborne and mutating. So there is now this kind of countdown element, like how long are these few surviving people going to stay immune to the virus that's flowing through the air before it mutates into something that will infect them and turn them into zombies. And it turns out that the... Potential cure is inside of Kurumi because, you know, she didn't turn into a mindless rampaging zombie beast. So that's it. It's actually a pretty good point, I think, to catch up on the series right now because you get uh, quite a bit of content. Um, there's This series has been running for about five years monthly. There's a lot to it there, and it leads off at a point where you, they're just, like, just kind of starting off the next chapter of the story. Um, and also there's an anime. Which yes. I haven't watched any of. Uh, and the anime is, I guess, uh, somewhat notable for having, like, uh, basically, like, I guess it's, I, I can't think of when it would be in the actual manga, but uh, 11 episodes into the anime, the opening keeps the same music and a lot of the same visuals, but changes things to show, like, yeah, this is when it stops being the delusion. Like, it, you know, the first one makes it look like, oh, hey, it's like a new fun school series. And then, like, all the other visuals of the school show it being, like, attacked, damaged, and murdered, and things like that. And you're like, oh, okay. Yay. <laughs> I do love it. I do love it when a series has something where it fucks with the opening in some way. Like the JoJo's have recently have started doing that more and more, where like the opening when it reaches a certain point, like the the villains start fucking with it or something like that. And this one has that same kind of line where it's just like ten chat ten episodes and it's like, all right, here's the reality of what things are happening now. It's not going to be a cutesy Moe series, guys. It took me quite off guard. Uh, this is, I think. Uh... Probably my, my yeah, I think definitely my favorite recommendation that we took this month. Um, I really enjoyed it. I liked the different take on the zombie apocalypse series. I think that this is the one that really dives the most into the sense of loss and endurance of the human spirits under this kind of condition of all the zombie series that we've read for weekly manga recap. I think that the one that got the closest to this was probably actually like High School of the Dead, weirdly enough. <laughs> Most of the rest of them are just kind of like, we have to survive. Let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think the series definitely is a pretty enjoyable one. It's It's got a weird sort of flavor to it that 
I don't know if everyone will be able to dig. Uh, and I don't know if I... It, it's hard to call this horror in the same way that other stuff is, because it's a lot more just like a psychological sad series <laughs> that uh, kind of goes in there. It just framed in a, a horror setting. More or less, but I think that's still kind of a, a pretty unique thing and, and and really kind of fun and interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoy this more than most zombie series you read. I probably enjoy this more than the other series you read earlier this month. Although I still do have a soft spot for Biohazard, <laughs> just for how ridiculously stupid it was at points. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a good one to recommend. I, I do think it loses more steam as it goes on, and I in agree. fact, this is a long running series that's continuing to run. It's one of those things of like. I think the ending's going to play a part into this, but by and large, I think you can enjoy it. I, I think you should at least give the first couple chapters a shot and and see how you dig it from there, or give the, the first couple episodes of the anime a watch, and I guess see where you feel from there. But um, yeah, I think it works. For a monthly series that's been as, running as long as this has, it actually doesn't take very long to read through. It's, it's not a very dialogue-heavy series, and... It's a lot more visually based, so it, the chapters go by really, relatively quickly. I do wonder how that would affect uh, the reading experience, reading it you know month to month, um, in terms of like the pacing, like how much content you actually get out of each individual chapter. But uh, from what the way that we experienced it, I really enjoyed it. Okay. We're going to head on to our regular recap portion, Weekly Manga Recap now, uh, with a uh, new jump start to talk about. Um, oh, God, I completely forgot to read Full Drive. Oop. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> Not a lot happened. You're good. I'll let you recap that one. I guess we'll get to it. Sure. Let's talk about My Hero Academy at number 158, Chisaki's Warped Compassion. Uh, so... As you might suspect, a lot of this chapter is about explaining why Chisaki started doing the stuff that he's been up to. His, why he decided to enact his great plan to uh, destroy superheroes in general, essentially. And uh, what he says as we get this narration that summarizes the manifestation of quirks and special abilities is... Uh, that he decided it's a sickness. And uh, he says to Deku that neither he nor Eri understand the value of her quirk. Expanding upon her quirk has led to great things. I've extracted her the essence of her power through my research and have reached a point where it's all coming together. And then we're not just talking about we're rewinding individual, individual bodies. It's something far greater than that. She can affect the evolution of our very species rewinding to the state before these mutations ever occurred. That's the sort of power Eri possesses. She has the power to destroy the quirk factor and return humanity to normal. So there's the explanation of why her power works that way, I guess. Yeah, and here's the thing. I think this was a good explanation of it, and this definitely, I feel like, should have been the way they first described it. I think describing it as rewinding was a bad plan. They should have described it as evolution, and she has the power to de-evolve people, kind of, as well. Because this this is what gave me the idea of, like, oh, okay. Because I, I think I mentioned maybe last week that I was like, maybe it was, like, Ares' power wasn't cool enough, and they decided to change that. This is the explanation. I was like, oh, no, this was planned, because the whole evolution of quirks and what that did to the uh, gang, you know, Yakuza members at the time. That was that was sort of the the premise of this that we knew early on. That was what 
overhaul wanted. So that her quirk is essentially a way to turn things back to that time is a clear and easy thing to understand as opposed to like, I don't know, like the notion of like, she's blinks the time cat. And you just need enough fucking rewind tokens to send things back five minutes in time or whatever. Like I, it's an easier way to comprehend. What you just have to master going. echoes of echoes. Ultimate Chris. <laughs> I know it's, I just can't, I can't tell where my ghost is. How do you you got to master that time? You can't just use it to survive. You have to use it to deal with a ton of damage too. Yeah, you gotta you gotta really know your not only your positioning now, but your positioning from eight seconds from now as well. Multiple play- nerd multiple nerd <laughs> jokes in a row. Did you just play Echo recently too from League of Legends? No, no, I just remember uh, not getting used to him when he first came out. So, but I see people who are really good at him. I was like. Fuck you! <laughs> Stop being good with this. <laughs> How do you keep? Yeah, nailing- I get that. Yeah, I get that you mastered that baseball bat thing. <laughs> Stop being able to land all of your vein fucking impales. God damn it! <laughs> uh. So as Chisaki says, um, of course, the ability that Eri has to rewind people uh, to that point in evolution also allows them to kind of take society back to that point because the foundation of this whole world is based on quirks. The pow- power to destroy that way of life is what Eri represents. Things were better when I was a kid. He's like, and I'm going to change television back to how it was in the 90s. That's when cartoons were great. <laughs> They have live action stuff on that channel now. What's up with it's Cartoon Network? This is ridiculous. <laughs> Meanwhile, Deku's kicking him in the face like you have to learn to, to roll with the punches. You're just blinded by nostalgia. There were bad programs on the time too. No, there weren't. What about cow and chicken? It was okay. Fred and Stimpy had its moments too, and this was just a discount version of that. Oh no! I still don't uh, to this day. There's like. A part of me, it's like, I never, someone must, like, whoever the censor was at Nickelodeon back, they must just never watch Ren and Stimpy. They were just like, it's like a cat and a dog, yeah, sure, whatever. And they're like, what's he do this week? Uh, the whole episode's about a game called Don't Whiz on the Electric Fence. He's like, I must just be drunk and hearing things. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, gosh. Decker responds to Chisaki's rant by kicking him up into the sky. Yay! <laughs> Yeah, I got dizzy um, from this fucking panel. He said it, it's really awkward because it everything is tilted onto its side. And it's it's not as though you're supposed to turn the page to read it because everything else is a normal uh, layout. It's just that one shot. I'm like, uh, Deku realizes that Aries' power is actually getting stronger, and so as you know, Chisaki actually warned him. Yeah, uh, she doesn't know how to stop it. So he's kind of in danger because uh, he has to, you know, they, their powers have to match up or else he's going to get hurt one way or the other. Um, Mr. Compress, meanwhile, has been um, taken out by Ryukyu. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he was doing over there, but uh, he's in trouble now. <laughs> Remember, it's not actually Mr. Compress. Oh, oh, it's, it's, it's his, the it's doppelganger that okay. twice made. Okay, I didn't even realize that. Okay. Uh, also, uh, Ryukyu throws Uraraka and Night Eye up into the air, and Uraraka starts starts to you know levitate. Uh, 
Ryukyu instructs her to uh, find an ambulance. Um, not sure if that's actually where she's going to be going, though. I mean, there's part of me that's like, I hope she does, or I hope she doesn't, because I want her to do something in this arc. But on the other hand, it's like, that dude had to fucking, like, rock through the His heart. He, ne- he needs a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> we get more flashbacks from Chisaki's perspective, uh, including him speaking with uh, the old boss. Uh, and uh, he's like, hey, you know, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be getting into so many fights. Yakuza member Chisaki. <laughs> and Chisaki's like, uh, no, he was in my territory, so I taught him a lesson, and that's all. And more and more of them aren't showing me proper respect, so I've got to make exams of them and earn some respect. And the boss is just like, so, what are you doing, by the way? You're, like, messing with stuff. I told you not to mess around with drugs and stuff like that, so you should stop that. And I know that this is all because of your sense of indebtedness to me, but you can't go straying so far from our way of things. Um, Chizaki came to the conclusion, it seemed, that um, their boss was going to lead them to ruin. That's the impression that I get from this little speech he has confiding in um, Chrono. <coughs> Shit. Um... And Shizaki basically said, like, so what we're going to do is we're going to take back control of the underworld under the Yakuza. And Kurnow's like, I don't know if you can actually do that. He's like, no, I'll make it happen. That's what he did. Yeah, yeah, it's it. This, so just a kind of note here, this this flashback we're getting here just kind of explains to us more or less the parts we could have already figured out, which is, like, I don't think there's any real piece of new information here outside of the fact that, like, the boss... I mean, we already knew the boss didn't like the way he was doing things. Like, it was mm. already clear that he didn't want this, but I guess this is clear that this has always been sort of the approach. But um it's interesting because uh the way this chapter sort of ends, as we'll get to, is, like, it looks like Chisaki may have, like, been defeated. And... I don't know about you, I, I definitely, at this point, I almost kind of wish, one, we had gotten something a little bit more intricate out of Chisaki, but I also wish we had gotten this a little bit sooner. I know it's sort of like a trope in Shonen to have your villain's backstory sort of revealed as they're defeated sometimes, especially if you want to give a little bit more context to things. Like, One Piece has done this several times where they'll have like that villain's dream showed in a flashback upon their defeat or right at like Bleach before. was notorious for that. Like, let me explain how this character was actually, actually human deep down as they're dying. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, obviously I still want to get that backstory, but I do kind of hope at times it could appear a little bit earlier on in things. And Chisaki's like explanation, this whole backstory, just trying to give a little bit more like depth to this character, something I think I kind of would have wanted two or three chapters ago, as opposed to mm. getting it right now. There's also an impression I get, because you see an, a second meeting that he has with uh, the the old boss, and you can tell that time has passed because Shisaki's got his actual proper, like, plague doctor kind of looking mask on, and also Chrono is now wearing a mask. Not the same mask that he is wearing in the present, but he's wearing a surgical mask, which I think helps to show that, like, oh, he's getting more and more involved in Shizaki's way of doing things. Uh, 
and essentially what he says is like, yes, behind your back, I have created the serum that can destroy a person's quirk, and the heroes will be after the serum, the villains will lust after our special guns and bullets, it's all coming from Ares' body, we'll have control over the market, so, yeah, the, the, the Hasekai will once again control Japan from the shadows, and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? What? You're exploiting, you're drawing blood from a little girl. <laughs> this it's is like, bad. It's a very bad thing. You shouldn't do this. <laughs> this is not what the Yakuza is about. This is what Stranger Things was about. <laughs> it's like, I haven't watched that season yet. <laughs> it breaks his face. Like, no! It, it was okay! Be, it, there seems to be a very heavy implication that uh, the reason the boss is in the comatose state that he is in is because Chisaki broke him. Uh, because it ends on an ominous note of like Shisaki's shadow looming over him. Um, and he says this, however, with, uh, I just want to repay the dead I owe you, so please just sit back and watch. So if that's what happened, he's pretty fucked up in the head, isn't he? <laughs> I want to repay you, so I'm going to cripple you so you can't stop me from repaying you. In the present, Chisaki is really pissed off. He says, none of you can see the big picture. I'm going to destroy the world, and you can't stop me. Uh, and uh, Deku uh, just says, I know that what you're doing. I know that you can break yourself down and heal any damage I cause, but at 100%, I can use speed to counter that. I'm not going to let you heal yourself. If I can't save one little girl right in front of me, then how can I ever hope to be a hero who saves everyone? And he just starts fucking laying into Jisaki. Like, we're talking, like, rapid-fire bullet punches. And uh, eventually he punches him so fucking hard that his mask flies off with our big ending two-page spread. And uh, as this is going on, Uraka has Nidai, and they're looking up at uh, everything, and Uraka says, Hey, you said the tech who's got to get killed, but are you sure? And Nidai's like, such is the inalterable future I foresaw. But now. So, uh, Noah my hero next week. So that's what kind of leads a little bit further greens to this is probably the climax of this fight. Uh, I think this is going to be an awesome scene when it's animated, when you get like the, the music behind it, you put your fucking you say now remix or whatever behind it. You know, your, your leap motif. You say run faster. (laughs) You say run really, really fast now. Uh, and you, you animate this. I think it's going to look extremely awesome. Um, you know, and I, I get a little bit of shades of that Dress Rosa finale where it's like, you, you know, the last shot you saw of Doflamingo before his defeat was just that, fu- those stupid fucking glasses like hitting the ground or whatever. You know, you're seeing it here with that, that big mask getting ripped off or whatever. Um, I'm not crazy, like, I'm not like super hyped about this chapter as much as I want to be just because I think at the end, Chisaki kind of fell a little bit short of where I kind of wanted him to be as a villain. I was really excited about him early on, but I think this arc just didn't do enough for me to get excited. I think, like, the bullets all kind of, like, there were some great moments with the bullets, but that group as a whole just felt like a really weird cobbled-together group where a lot of them were just eliminated pretty, like, non-significantly. And the fight with Chisaki was something that worked better for all the heroes involved as opposed to him. Again, I think it would have helped if we knew what how fucked up of a person Chisaki was prior to... 30 seconds before his defeat. Hmm. I totally get that. Um, and I 
think that this was an arc that was pretty good uh, through most of it, and then right at the end, it kind of didn't quite re- hit that last step. Uh, I think from the moment that Ryukyu and the girls fell through the ceiling, that's the point where things kind of lost it for me. Uh, didn't I don't think that the conclusion all quite came together after some really good buildup. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, right. What are we going to do next? Food Wars. Um, it's Food Wars time. Shokugeki no Shoma. So... No Shoma. Phil, Phil suddenly jumped shit. Okay. So last time, uh, Takumi revealed that he was the true mastermind and you were dancing on his palm, Azon. Uh, but... In order to cast his finishing blow, he's got the second half of his pizza for the judges to eat. Uh, following up on a nifty, kind of nifty looking, uh, color, uh, color, color cover that we get of like, uh, what do you call those things? The, uh, po- like the pony horse things or something like that. I forget yeah, the, the, the beach, the beach, the beach battle where the three people carry the one. They meant to do it in the school festival arc in My Hero 2, I'm forgetting. Um, this is a curious thought I've just always had. Why is it that, like, the shorts for women in Japan, like, gym shorts, are so short? Like, they're, like, fucking briefs, eventually. I never quite understood that. I don't think that, from what I recall, I don't think that they're common anymore, but they were for a time, and so you see them thrown into manga for, like, nostalgic reasons, and also because, legs, so. I was just always curious if there was a mechanical reason for it. They're like, well, yes, this gives you super speed, because it's like a superhero costume at this point. You're like, oh. I don't think, I, I, I literally just think it's like the ace, like, you know, like, uh, in A League of Their Own, where all the girls have to wear skirts, even though that's a terrible idea when you're playing baseball. Mm. So, um, anyhow, judges are gonna try that second half of the pizza, and Azon's like, "So what? The other half of his pizza is plain cheese for crying out loud!" And he is simplistic. He has a good reason for that. There is never, there is no time in my life where I've ever said, "Oh, thank God, cheese pizza." Cheese pizza is where I'm like, I guess if everyone else here is vegetarian, I, I know you're going to do this, Nick, because you feel like this kind of person, unfortunately, but there's never been a point where I've been happy for cheese pizza. I, I play with the regular D&D group, and there's like a thing there every week, somebody will bring the food. And one dude came in, and was like, uh, someone had said, get bacon pizza. And he's like, uh, he went to get bacon pizza, they told him, they're out of bacon. And he said okay just cheese and we were furious because we were like you didn't ask for any any other other topic you just (laughs) said cheese he's like i like cheese he's like get the fuck out of my house i've never like cheese pizza is okay but it's that thing of like literally anything on it at this point would be fine well because it's the plain option you can't just have cheese pizza i don't think i think that you can have it if you know it's something that you know because nobody can agree on a single topping, maybe you can do. But if you ever get a five cheese pizza, those things are delicious, which is why I totally buy into Takumi's thing here. <laughs> I, I, I immediately sat here. I was just like, I, if I was to judge, I'd be like, is there like sausage underneath this? Or <laughs> it's a black olives, a little something here, some pineapple. Cause yes, that is good when it's with ham on a pizza. So Let's like, the, 
the three judges are like, uh, was it Un, Umi or whatever? The girl. And then like you and me. And she's just like, oh, I got, got like her 50 Bibles of, of flavoring and everything like that. And you're just like nitpicking the choice of the topics. And I'm just like, where are the Pop-Tarts? <laughs> you're just like, yeah, this page is okay, but is the Pop-Tart coming up next? Pastry chick, you working on Pop-Tarts? <laughs> She's like, I mean, I think it'd be illegal to just make Pop-Tarts think they own a patent. Make a I mean, just here. Does this one be the Sokogeki? I'll pay the I'll pay the $4 ah, to buy you a big box of said pastry. Oh, no. <laughs> Your food gas. I mean, oh! The brown sugar is tearing my body apart like ravenous sexy zombies. <laughs> The toilet Frankenstein guy appears in my mind's eye. <laughs> You're going to poop tonight. <laughs> Anywho. All right. I don't want to start an argument in the chat room, but anyone who doesn't think pineapple is okay on pizza is just wrong. You're just, I don't understand you. You're I haven't insane. had Hawaiian style pizza in a really long time, so I've got no stance on it. I don't eat it that often, but in the right mood, it's, oh, it's amazing. I do really like that joke from uh, Inside Out, though, about Hawaiian pizza. Yeah. Uh, so the judges are probably literally blown away. Um, they are the, yeah. gu- the guys are very, very pre- predisposed towards tweaking their nipples. Well, uh, all all of them are are doing it, and they're all doing it with their fingers in the one, two, three. One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a triple jump of deliciousness. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's that's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> the triple jump with the somersault. But it's it's to me. I just can't stop laughing at the notion of these people being like cheese pizza. <laughs> like they're orgasming at it. So for by the way for the count. I'm not actually putting this on the weird fan service level because this is just them getting naked. Like that's nothing. No. Oh, nothing. it had to be weird fan service. It has to be weird fan service. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, that's what I said during uh, Azon's Magicians Act. Like when I put the over under down. So the guy is giving you fuck me eyes while they're in a barrel careening off of a waterfall. That's weird. All three judges just getting naked and being like, oh, I orgasm for eating that cheese pizza. No, that happens all the time in Food Wars. Come on. But yes, the judges are like, it's not just a one cheese pizza. There's two, three, no, four cheeses, a quattro formaggi pizza. Okay, there's four cheeses and Azen's like, so? <laughs> it's not just that there are four cheeses. It's delicious. Amazing, complimenting flavors of cheese, I guess. <laughs> He's like, there's not even any toppings on it. It's just cheese. I mean, if it, if you had made, like, a meat lovers on one side and, like, a with the works or a vegetarian or something on the other. He's like, you could put chicken on it, perhaps some buffalo sauce, something, a little something to spice this up. They're like, nah. But there's Parmesan cheese on it. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
Um, yeah, the judges just are like, it's amazing. And all together, it's a triple jump that leads you to ever higher heights of deliciousness. It is truly a terzo piatto. Only he could create. And he's just like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> no, no, Did no, you no. see how many artichokes I put in that shit? <laughs> you put some, take some of my artichokes off that plate and put it on that pizza and tell me it doesn't taste better. Like, this actually is, like with toppings on, this actually is a lot better. <laughs> See? Well, I mean, with that bit of help, his dish is even more delicious. Fuck! Damn it! Although point proven. <laughs> I will take this loss with great pride. <laughs> oh, gosh. So Takumi launches into his big triumphant I, I showed you speech, which goes, I knew if I took all my years of experience baking countless pizzas, I could put together the perfect quattro formaggi blend to accent to accent, rather, my shigurini. But it didn't stop there. If I hadn't spent my stagiaire where I did, the shigurini beef never would have come together. And without my battle against Mimasaka, it never would have occurred to me to try tracing my opponent's thought pattern. All the tests I've faced and all the bitter failures I've tasted, those were what allowed me to create this dish. You sticking Mimasaka on me during the Fall Classic, that was what set my feet on the path that led me to these heights. And, uh, Aeson comes to realization, oh, Damn it. He's he like, really got me, didn't he? Well, it's the exact who? same that Mimasaka did to him. This whole time, I was chugging in little circles in the palm of his hand. So, I think it's a great moment for Takumi, uh, as he is, of course, declared the winner of the of the bout. Um, I really like the fact that it plays on the history that he's had with essentially every other character that he has a history with, except for Soma, uh, in this regard. Um, I know that the revelation of his actual dish wasn't the best, but I like the way that it did actually play off of Azon's. I think that's more the point than the dish itself. And as people that don't really understand cooking and the mentality behind it a lot of the time, I think this worked for me better than if he had just like made an awesome pizza. So. Yeah, and I, I think this this ultimately I think was a really great moment for Takumi. I love showing that all these moments that led him up to this spot is what got him here and put him over. It really shows that character growth where he's been and it makes Takumi feel significant here in this fight. There's still part of me that's really disappointed that we didn't get more out of Azon. I was always hoping there'd be just another dimension to him besides like money obsessed bully. But you know, if if doing all that still at least gets Takumi to be to a more interesting spot, then it has a purpose to it. And um, hey, at least Aeson was more interesting than Kinokuni. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fuck, he's more interesting than the fifth seat. Hey, look at that. Okay. Uh, so, big two-base spread as uh, Takumi has declared the word. I love the, like, hand gesture that the female judge makes, where she's just like... It's such a weird thing. <laughs> She's like, give it up for him, I guess. Also, where are those two looking? Like, the blonde judge is actually looking at Takumi. The others are just kind of like... Well, he's got... He also has something in his eye, too. He got some pizza in his eye, like maybe some like, well, that's uh, thing, olive he oil. Winks, he winks a lot. Well, look, it's really weird to capture so intensely on, like, an image, someone blinking. You usually don't do that. Like, a wink... A wink's not supposed to be like... That you're, you know, generally you kind of make it like a short thing. Also, he doesn't look like his, he's winking because his other eye is just straight open. So it's like, 
It's, it's just a weird thing to do. You don't, you don't do that. Uh, so I think he's, he's, he maybe is having a stroke. Pizza was too good. He's so many cheeses, Nick. It was such a good pizza. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Uh, and, uh, geez, he's going overboard. He's losing it. And the other two chefs are like, I don't like this guy. I hope he, has a stroke. <laughs> I hope, I hope he dies. What? They're just like disgusted by the third judge all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. They're like, that's, it's not her giving like, uh, here you go to, to Takumi. It's her trying to put up a wall. So she doesn't have to look at him. Having a stroke. She's like, yes. Yeah, so next dish, please. No, no. Two judges. That's all it is now. Till I get rid of him. <laughs> Till I get rid of this guy. And it's just one. Um, Soma and Megami at the announcement of Takumi's victory pump their fists, which I think is a really bad idea when they're, you know, near the middle of cooking. <laughs> like Megami's not even looking down at her food right now. <laughs> she just put her elbow onto the stove right now. Ow! <laughs> Uh, Isami, like, congratulates his brother, and they're like, oh, high five, through the cage and stuff, yeah. Um, and, uh, then, uh, what's her fucking name? Hang on a second. Momo? It, no. No. The, oh, you mean the fucking judge? Or the, yes. The announcer? The, the, uh, MC. Let's see, hang on. Urara, that's her name. There it is. Uh, yeah. Urara's like, oh, it fucking sucks. Oh, come on, Saito-senpai. Fucking kick their asses. And Saito's like, oh, indomitable tenacity. Yes, yes. And he's like, oh, come on, Momo. Yeah, like, kick their asses. And she's like, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> Stop bugging me. Uh, but as she is going over to bother Momo, Urara smells the aroma coming from her dish. And all of a sudden, she comes down and gets, like, fucking magical girl or idol princess uh, look. And she's like, ah, yes, enchant us all with your wonderful apple dishes. Yay. And everyone's like, ugh, even before she was corrupted, she was a real creepy asshole. So what happened to her? <laughs> uh, so interestingly, I, I'm kind of curious because they set up that this is going to be the next kind of match. Uh, mm-hmm. The one that's next for judging is, is going to be the uh, apple dish. Makes sense. Save Soma for last. Do you think that's a closer indicator, maybe, that Soma might be the one to lose in this? I don't know. Um, I it's mean, tough to say, but... I mean, my pick, my pick already... I already had picked Azon to be the one to lose. And I don't know. I mean, like, maybe it'll just turn out that their teamwork actually carries them through. Maybe Megami will be the sacrificial lamb, or maybe Soma will actually lose. I... It's it's a it's kind of difficult because it's like I don't want Megami to lose. It makes more sense than Soma losing, but I don't think that will happen. And at the same time, I don't think that they're going to win all three of these because it seems kind of it, it seems like it'll be pretty far fetched to have Sukasa and Rindo be the only ones left. And if one of the two was going to make it in order for them to have a third member remaining, I think that Momo would be more likely than Saito because we've already seen Saito cook once before this. Mm-hmm. So I really don't know what to call at this point. It, I'm completely at a loss. All that we know is that uh, everyone is smitten with the fragrance of Momo's dish at this point. That's it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, Make Me does against her. Yep, I'm see how this match turns out. Looking forward to that. Okay. 
So, I uh, believe that now would be a good time for us to talk about our jump starts. Do you think so? Let me get my fucking notes moving. Oh, move, move, move notes. Are you whipping them, Nick? Are you whipping your notes like, yeah, move notes, yeah, move like, scroll. It hearts, please don't. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, let's do our uh, jump starts now. Um,. So we've got a couple. We've got Full Drive, which I didn't read. <laughs> and so we've got Gollum Hearts. Full Drive is first alphabetically. Chris, what happened? <laughs> uh, not a whole lot, Nick. So uh, Don is still kind of the protagonist being led around by Marin, who's kind of introduced him to this world of ping pong. And essentially the only thing that's incredibly notable is they... She takes her to that school that they go to, Setagaya Table Tennis Academy, which is very amusing to me that there's like a school that like hangs its hat on like, here's where all the top ping pongers go to play. I mean, Not- come on, Chris. There's an entire island for dual academy students. Yes, but that is a, a, a an exaggerated show that is uh, almost parody in and of its goofy what? self. What? No. <laughs> no, it's no. a real place. <laughs> no. I've got a jacket and a membership ID and everything. I chilled out in the I chilled out with the crew in the schoolyard. <laughs> you got it. That's a true point. I guess that is a real place then. Uh, and they go to this school. I they, have my my wrist mounted holographic projector <laughs> in the in the closet right now. Yeah, and I'm gonna be uh, next month. I'm gonna be taking some lessons to start uh, learning the motorcycle system used in the season after that. <laughs> Would you ride uh, the dual cycle, Nick? Or... No, that'd be terrifying. <laughs> what if they're like it's uh like it's it's you don't have to actually drive it; it's on a track or something like that. That's uh, but you have to go at super high speed. I mean, I I get I get motion sick on roller coasters, so I think that'd be a bad idea. That's fair enough. All right, so Don uh, Marin introduces Don to her teacher, uh, who is a little strict. Uh, essentially, I guess the one joke that's supposed to come out of this is that Marin like casually flops her shoes onto the ground, and the teacher is, like calls her off. Big, is that any way to line up your shoes? A woman who doesn't mind even the bare minimum of manners is awful. Uh, and I don't. I'm trying to see if they actually name the teacher at all, and I don't see them name her at some point here. I'm sure they do. Ito, I guess is her name. She introduces herself as Ito. Essentially, they just go around to the school. They meet one other dude who has like fucking the foppy super hair kind of look. Uh, they suggest that like, oh man, it's like, he's, you know, this kid's pretty good. You'll like him. And they're like, we'll have to have a match one day or something like that. And then the Don just shows off his ping pong talents to this teacher and she kind of like dresses him down for like, you need to be even stronger if you want to get there. You know, I need you to hear this, uh, this passion out of you. And there's this big two page spread of you being like, I want to crush everyone above me. So they give him a new racket that, you know, has like tensed rubber to it. So it won't slip out or anything else like that. And the end of the chapter is that one guy popping out of the shower being like, oh, right, so how about that match, essentially? There's not a lot to this chapter, Nick. I'm I'm skipping over some parts of it, but there's honestly not that much true content here. It's a lot of the same stuff that we kind of already saw last time, and I'll be honest, I've reached this point with Full Drive where um, I don't particularly have as much interest in it. Primarily just because Don as a protagonist 
has nothing that makes him stand out amongst sports shutter protagonists. He's talented at the sport and he's really passionate about winning. And that's every sports protagonist essentially in the you know the genre, the medium. You know, he doesn't have anything else to him that helps him stand out right now. And I think that's a really damaging thing off the top of things. Also, I still don't get what the fucking point of Marin is. She just is there. <laughs> okay. In, in that case, let's talk about Gollum Hearts. Uh, as you might imagine, this is a story about Gollums. Gollums being those artificial creations from, uh, I believe it's, what, Hebrew mythology, Jewish mythology or something like that, yep. where you can put a command inside of them and... Uh, they will do your bidding. Write a piece of paper and put it in their mouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is a world where there are golems that do all the work, uh, and they are with different specialties. Uh, but within this world, there are a couple of misfits, a golem arcanist and a golem, a golem who is bizarrely human and is essentially Pinocchio. It's Pinocchio and Geppetto, uh, basically, in a magical uh, adventure battle world. And I don't really want to go through the whole thing because it's a pilot chapter, and thus it's going, it's very long. But uh, they're misfits, they're fuck-ups, and uh, I don't remember their names. Hang on. <laughs> uh, it's... And Joe's not loading for me. <laughs> Noah and Lemek are their names. Yeah. Noah is the golem, and Lemek is the arcanist who created him and is essentially a father to him. Um, there's a, there's quite a bit of heart to this, uh, honestly, from the get-go. There's quite a lot of golem, golem heart to heart. it. Yeah. Oh, uh, because... oh wait. Uh, shit, I lost that. But, Nick, <laughs> don't you mean, mean golem hearts? I did mean that, yes, actually. There's also a character on the uh, two-page spread at the beginning that I don't think think has been introduced in this chapter. Now, the female so I should show up later. Lead in that is not shown earlier. But uh, essentially this whole world is built on what golems can do for people, and Noah is, wants to be helpful because he's a golem, and he wants to do all sorts of things for people, and he is unnaturally strong being a golem who just happens to look like a, I don't know, 12-year-old boy. Bizarrely human-like and has you know full facial expressions and stuff and emotions, unlike golems actually have. Uh, but every time he tries to help with people, he just screws it up because he's not tactful or delicate. He's just kind of this strong, can't clumsy kid. Lemek, on the other hand, wants to be helpful to people because he's an arcanist. He can, you know, do column repairs and enchantments and stuff. But he seems to just kind of screw things up all the time, which is bizarre because he created a f- he created life essentially. You think he would be the most accomplished of all of the arcanists in the entire planet? But no, he seems to just constantly screw things up. He'll repair something and it'll shrink down to like a hundredth of its size or stuff like that. Yeah. Uh. Eventually, at one point, Noah tries to uh, help out people um, against their will in the mid- in the dead of night after they told him, no, we don't want your help to do something. Uh, he, he, in the dead of night, he's like, they were just too ashamed to ask me for help. And so he goes off in order to help them anyway, moves a bunch of uh, crates in this shipment. But the place that he moves them to, because they moved them out of a lockout, they get stolen in the middle of the night. And uh, so, of course, everyone blames him and wants to uh, get him for all the stuff that he's done over the course of 
I don't know, years. I don't know how old he's actually supposed to be. Uh, in fact, Noah actually says, like, I did it! I helped you guys! I moved all your stuff again without your permission! <laughs> he's very excited about this fact. Um, to me, he's like... Nick, did you ever play The Sims at all growing up? No, I did not. Oh, alright. So, one element of The Sims is that there were kind of randomized events that could come out and happen. Like, mm-hmm. one was a clown would show up to your house and just make everyone really sad. <laughs> But the one that was great was Frankenstein would show up to your house and he would just break everything. Like he'd walk into your <laughs> kitchen and just break the sink and then he'd walk into your living room and he'd break the TV and then he'd walk into your bedroom and break your lamp and then he'd leave. And Frankenstein essentially was Noah in this. Like, it's just like he's probably trying to help. Like he showed up to your house to kind of party, but he just broke everything and then left. Like, I'm sorry, guys. I don't know what to do now. Mm-hmm. Uh so the guy whose stuff that he ended up uh getting damaged and stolen and stuff uh, just lashes out at him and says, not only are you the least helpful golem ever, but it's freaky how you look so human. Stay away from my trading business. In fact, just leave town. Uh, Noah, of course, is very upset. He runs off and Lemmick runs after him and tries to comfort him and says, hey, you know, you blundered a bit today, but don't let it get to you. Um, and Noah's like, oh, yeah, I'm a, but I'm a useless golem. I just want to be helpful to people. I can't do anything. Uh, and he even says, maybe I shouldn't exist. And let me grabs his face and kind of pulls it into his weird smile. And he says, that doesn't look like you. You know, come on, you, you should smile. And he's like, no, golems are supposed to be expressionless. So I just end up freaking people out. And I was like, well, that's all the more reason to smile. When you smile, Noah, it brightens everyone's day. Or at least it brightens my day. Every day with you is a blessing. So I'd very much prefer if you kept existing. And so it's like, oh, this is, <laughs> he's going to die at some point horribly, isn't he? <laughs> he's a, he's a dad who loves his son. That can't happen in manga. <laughs> what's, what's happening here? Get out of here. Turn evil. I'm not going to be fooled by the fact that he's on that title page. <laughs> um, and uh, Lumix says, hey, you know what, What I've, I've got a dream, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the world's best arcanist, and I'll earn respect, get rich, and live a life of ease. And Noah's like, well, then I'll also be the world's best arcanist. And Lumix's like, wait, or does that mean you're competing with me? No. And this is actually bizarrely interesting logic, where he says, if I become the world's best, then I'll make you an even best, better best since you made me. And he's like, well, but there can only be one best. Okay, then I'll be the second best arcanist in the world. And that way, since I'll be so great, you'll be even better because you'll be better than me when you're the best. Hmm. Okay, fair that's, enough. That's when my head explodes. I'm like, too much math. <laughs> so they agree on that. Uh, go to bed. Uh, but when Noah wakes up, he sees the Lemmick is confronting the merchant from before outside. And uh, he's like, hey, you, you, you should dispose of that golem. Get rid of it. And he's like, look, are you still bothered by what happened yesterday? He's like, it's not just yesterday. It's everything that has happened. That was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And Lemmick says, hey, look, you've got a daughter of your own, right? If she happened to be a brat who terrorized the town and people told you to kill her, would you? And so, of course, Lemmick is fucking punched in the face for saying that. But Lemmick says, like, that's how I feel about him. Gollum or human makes no difference to me. Noah is Noah. He's always trying to be helpful to you. Works hard. He's kind of a pain. Maybe a fool prone to mistakes, but he means more to me than anything. Noah is my son, so when you tell me to dispose of him, understand that I lay down my life to protect him. Aww. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, fortunately, the tension is broken that moment by the by uh, the appearance of kidnappers. Just random guy just like riding around on a golem snatching children. Oh no! Well, it's the same guy who robbed them last night. Of too. course. Yeah. So uh, Noah uh, springs into action, uh, and uh, he and Lemek basically decide that they need to chase after. And uh, Lemek uh, casts an enchantment with his Arcanist magic. Uh, puts a seal on Noah's chest. Uh, I actually like because he's like, strip down, Noah. He's like, okay. He's like, no, keep your pants on. <laughs> Not that kind of series. Uh, he puts a seal on him so that they can, so that he can run faster. They run after, and uh, it, oh, they have a battle. I'm, I'm not going to go get too, too deep into it. Uh, he also casts a really, really uh, complicated advanced seal called Paladin so that uh, Noah's arm turns into a sword. He cuts the other guy's golem in half, saves the day. Uh, everyone makes up uh, because, you know, we, everyone realizes what a deuce that they've went, been. They make amends. And, uh, yay. Uh, now Noah and Lemmick are town heroes because they saved people from the kidnappers. Uh, and... Uh, then there's a joke at the end because Lemek tries to use his magic in order to heal the damage that uh, Noah has suffered, but he ends up shrinking him down. And uh, that's it. But there's a narration at the end. Their days of living together were nearly at an end. He's going to die, Chris. Uh, there cannot be a happy father-son relationship in manga. It doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't happen, right? Uh, I'm not going to let myself get too attached to him and feel, and feel bad when he dies. <laughs> You can't trick me. Nick, he's not old enough that I give a fuck if he gets his peanuts or not. So. <laughs> There's no gray in that mustache. <laughs> You're like mid-30s, who cares? Uh, I like the series a lot. It, it, it had a, a pretty good pace to it. It was able to, you know, blended comedy, action, and, you know, emotion well. And it felt earnest in that emotion, which is a pretty big, like, tell as to whether or not it's a series I'm going to enjoy. Um I think I'm I'm excited to see bits and pieces of where it goes. I think the application of like he uses different sigils on himself to transform and potentially other people can use it on him that almost he's like a vehicle for battle that can be altered by himself or others, I think is gonna be kinda of unique. Um it just has a a fun premise to it and seems like it has quality writing behind it. So I'm 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 intrigued to see more. I w really did enjoy this. I thought that the emotion behind it worked really well. Uh, I liked how effectively and quickly the relationship between Noah and Lemek was built up. Um, I mean, I feel much more connected to these characters than I did to anyone in the jump starts that we got in this round up to this point. So, good stuff. You didn't love fucking Don and Marin? <laughs> like OP, I, also didn't really, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't really. I don't know. Couldn't quite get into the uh, into the the uh, the mentality of uh, lycopene. Couldn't uh, attach myself to them <laughs> as a character. All right, let's uh, let's get into the next series. We're uh, we gotta get running through some series. Someone in the chat actually points out that it might be Noah who dies. So that'd be interesting if you have the protagonist be the weird-looking mustachioed uh, dad character instead. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Nah, that, it's it's not going to work, unfortunately. 
Now, Noah's kind of put put all over the, uh, <laughs> the promotional material, so I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> Just change the protagonist art. <laughs> all right. Moving on, uh, now that we're done with that, we're going to get into Dr. Stone. What time is it, Chris? It is time to get stoned! Uh, I should just start bringing the bong in. It's just like just light the bong up. that doesn't have anything in it. <laughs> sure, nothing in it. <laughs> I just like light just it up. Just put, right put, put like water in it so you can blow bubbles in it. <laughs> is that what you think bongs are for? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Yeah, I am innocent and pure. <laughs> yes, that's right. You blow bubbles with bongs. You got it. It's like a straw and chocolate milk. One time uh, when I was uh, 20, uh, we had a D&D session and a guy, a new guy to the group bought, brought a bong. And I was like, I told literally everyone else, like, he cannot fucking come to our meetings in the future if he lights up like that. I swear to God. <laughs> I just like this is disgusting. <laughs> He's like, yeah, man, I'll just bring edibles next time. You're like, ew, chocolate in my house? No. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, D equals thirty three. Bad chemicals. Last time the crew managed to get sulfuric acid and harvest it. Uh, I like how Senku is still the wuss of the group, even when he's with fucking Chrome. <laughs> because all the, you know, uh, Chrome and, uh, Kin- and Ginra are carrying around like all these freaking bottles full of sulfuric acid. Senku's struggling to carry one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kaku's like, yay, we can finally make the cure for my sister. And Chrome's like, hey, don't, didn't you remember that really ridiculous, complicated roadmap that, uh, that Senku drew up? It's like, eh, well, yeah, actually, this is gonna move things along really quickly. It's gonna just be a domino effect from here. One thing's gonna lead to a new one really, really quickly. As he puts it, it's going to be a surge of chemical cooking. Get excited! Because they've got all the ingredients together, and we get this very quick, rapid sequence of different scientific tools and uh, chemical procedures that he's making. And the thing that happens as they're progressing from one chemical compound to the next is, you know, Seku is like, ah, here's hydrochloric acid. If you, if it gets in your eyes, you'll go blind. And he's like, always like holding it up for Suica to see it every single time that he does this. So it's like, oh, hydrochloric acid, chlorosulfuric acid, sodium hydroxide. (laughs) And always, like, explain how bad they are. As you'll see, like, fucking Kohaku in the bathroom, just like, hydrochloric, go (laughs) blind. Just says, like, so dumb. (laughs) I love the voice because it's like, hey, if this gets on your skin, it'll slop off like a zombies. If the Yakuza would use this to melt down bodies. (laughs) He's getting more and more evilly excited about it. And eventually Kohaku reaches the point where he's like, ah, oh, okay, so chemicals that'll make you blind, turn you undead, and melt down bodies. Okay, what are you playing? I'm having my sister drink. I love that face. It's so huge and terrifying, but I love it more for what happens like four panels later when he's just like, well, not all the chemicals are weird like that. There's some like fine ones, like ammonia. Oh, where do you get that? She's like, uh... You shouldn't ask. And then I guess they just walk five feet away and be into a jar. <laughs> She's just like... While they're whistling, while they're whistling merrily, too. Even the dog's chiming in and helping, too. <laughs> She's just like, you want my sister to drink this? 
<laughs> Tegan's like, no, we're amazing to make a compound. It'll be your pee and the awful lucid chemicals. <laughs> I do just love the, the very notion of them being like, we're going to use ammonia too. Or are you going to ammonia? Hold on a moment. Don't, <laughs> don't look over here. <laughs> yeah, they're right in the open peeing into a jar together. <laughs> Oh, but anyway, with all that progress made, Krobe's like, all right, we're almost there. And, and uh, Senku says, okay, so we've really only got three to go. Sodium bicarbonate, aniline, and acetic anhydrite. And I don't think I got that last one right. I think I got kind of close, though. And I don't know my chemical names very well, so sorry. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Senku says, so what we need is alcohol. Once we get some booze, the sulfonomide, sulfonomide, Oh, so fun of my panacea will finally be complete. And so Crumb's like, all right, well, make some booze then. And the old old man craftsman is just like, well, you know, if whoever wins the grand bout tomorrow is going to just get as much booze as they want. So <laughs> like, OK. <laughs> um, And everyone realizes all of a sudden, oh, well, the tournament is tomorrow. OK, then. So uh, they go into the village and, uh, yeah, um, it's, uh, let's see here. Da, 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 da. I like how, um, Kohaku and Rory's parents are discussing, uh, the fact that Kohaku's going to join again. And, you know, the, the Chiso is just like, why is Kohaku competing again? Just turn her away. It's like, no, anyone 14 or older and unmarried can participate. The laws of our sacred grand bow cannot be altered. And then the chief's like, but no one expected girls to join. <laughs> I love that, like, it's, it's uh, like this almost, uh, unintentionally, like, progressive attitude to this village where they're just like, clearly these rules were kind of put in place to establish it, but it doesn't say dogs can't play basketball, so let's <laughs> do it. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, uh, they're holding this bout, and, um, Jasper, uh, who looks like he might be related to the chief and Kohaku and Ruri, because he looks very similar to the chief. Like, he's got light hair on top and then a black beard. So, hmm. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, he, he apparently learns, has learned that there is an extra person joining the tournament, and it's actually Senku! And Suika and Kohaku are like, you're Gotta fight? What? What? <laughs> and Ginner's just like, well, yeah, I put, I put his name in. He's he's over fourteen and unmarried, so there. He is. <laughs> um, and uh, I like how Kohaku is is and Suik are reacting to the fact that Ginro and Senku are idiot friends now, and they're like, and Kohaku says they've bonded over being such sleazebags. <laughs> I do love it, because they're so excited at this notion of just, like, Svenku will just give up the first time he faces one of us that actually matters! It's a free win! <laughs> and it's like, fucking, like, Kinro's just like, how could you do that? You're disrespecting our honorable tradition. And they're just over there like, ah, we're so smart! It's so fucking weird because they're like, because they're, like, trying to tempt him to cheat, and they're like, come on, you've got the best odds of taking down Magma, so why not take some easy wins and preserve your strength? And they're, but while they're doing this, they're like, oh, and their tongues are sticking out, like, four feet to lick at his face. 
And like that, like he's trying to win favor. He's like, Kohaku, how can you do this? And she's like, you know, it saves our sister. So it's like this side of like match fixing pro and all of them are just like, Gah! like they've got these stupid, dumb expressions. They're kind of going cross eyed. <laughs> she's like, begrudge, like, I guess I agree with that. <laughs> oh. We get this big dramatic two-paced spread after that point where it's been five months since he arrived, but that day, for the very first time, Senku set foot in the village. Damn straight. That gives us an idea of the timeline, though, in terms of how long all these uh, scientific discoveries have been taking them, though. Five months for all the work that they've done. Still quite a lot got accomplished uh, in that time, though. Um... But when she hears the name Senku, Ruri reacts as though she remembers it. And they're like, what? Have you, have you met him? No! Nor would I have thought such a thing possible. Yet, even so, this man, this Senku, I know him for years now. No, come to think of it, for an eternity even, from far in the distant past. So, what does that mean? I've Maybe... Maybe among the jump stories that were passed down, <laughs> Dr. Stone was one. <laughs> uh, that's actually what I'm assuming it's, it's along the lines of. She remembers him from somebody from her story. Because it's, it's, I mean, it's certainly the only thing that makes sense at this point. Because we know she can't be from the stone world. She's a descendant of stone people. Like She's several generations of people who have lived in the reimagined world or whatever. So... Mm-hmm. She can't be somebody who was, like, in high school with them or something like that. Um, unless it's like, oh, we're great long descendants of yours. Or, like, it just wouldn't make sense. Like, there's nothing that really fits into that unless it's, like, a distant relation. So, I have to assume, yeah, it's something from, like, the jump stories. It might be end up being something uh, also where someone else from their school uh ended up starting the population, and so maybe that's how, that's when the stories passed down. Maybe there are also stories of Taiju, or something like that. Yeah. Who knows? We'll find out fairly soon, I think, because Dr. Stone tends to go at a pretty fast pace. Uh, so, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the tournament plays out, how the storyline goes. I love Dr. Stone. Uh, it's been really, really good so far. This, uh, this was a great chapter. Maybe not like tons of emotional stuff happened, but this was just hysterical. Like it's oh, it was chapters, funny as hell. <laughs> like, going through, you're just like, this is fucking hilarious. Uh, I love how Inagaki is like teamed up with somebody now who like can just create those perfectly exaggerated comedic moments in that way. Like it's just such a great combination of those mm-hmm. two. Uh, all right, let's uh, jump forward then to We Never Learned, chapter, or question rather, 37. Sometimes geniuses are subject to the domino effect of X. So this is uh, another comedy chapter from We Never Learned. There's not a whole ton of, like, real emotional weight to this one. But this is a Fumino chapter, which is rather apropos, considering last week I said uh, how I was kind of disappointed with the role Fumino was kind of falling into with the story. Uh, this one has a pretty simple kind of direction to it, uh, where... Nobody knows how to cook. <laughs> yes, essentially, uh, Uega is going to the uh, uh, store because he wants to cook up some... Uh, what is it he's trying to actually make specifically? Uh, I feel like he mentions it specifically at some point, but I guess he doesn't. I guess he just asks for cooking help in general. 
All right. So regardless, he's going. He wants to make something really delicious for his sister because it's almost her birthday, and she always cooks something special oh. to celebrate for us. They end up. They end up making curry. I don't know if that was the goal from the onset or what. Gotcha. Uh, and he runs into uh, Fumino at the grocery store, and he's like, oh, hey, you know, are you cooking for yourself? She's like, well, you know, girls just kind of had to have that skills, you know, Western, Japanese, Chinese, or, you know, I can cook it all. And he's like, oh, can you help us then? She's like, sure. So she brings him over to his her house, and there actually is a small tease here or something. When he asks, where's your family? And she mentions, oh, my dad, he's away, he's hardly ever home, which kind of harkens back to something Way back in the series, where we got a hint that there's something to do with uh, Fumino's relationship with her father that maybe is the cause of some of her conflict. Uh, but we don't dwell on that for too long, because immediately Fumino, like, grabs Uega's hand and is just like, Did you wash your hands? He's like, uh, yeah. She's like, you call that washing? Go to the bathroom and wash them again for 30 minutes! And he's like, shit, she must be really serious about her cleaning. Alright. I guess I'll go do it. And she's like, good. Shit, I don't know how to cook anything. I need to figure this out in 30 minutes. And you just see her hand, like, 30 minutes later, as she's just, like, got band-aids over, like, five of her fingers, and this potato she's cutting. I, I don't know what she did with it. It's just in, like, splat- Well, first of all, why are you using that fucking knife to carve a potato if you don't know how to do it? There's a reason that you have potato peelers. <laughs> it's like, I think- Even if you're going to use a knife- to peel a potato, you don't need it to be that kind of knife. <laughs> Even if you don't know how to peel a potato, a potato only has skin around. Like you just ha- like you would lose a lot of the good potato too just by not peeling. But you could just cut it into a cube that's smaller. You'd get rid of all the skin, and you could just boil that or whatever you're planning to do with it. But apparently, she fucked up potatoes so hard it's just splattered nonsense in front of her. And also, like, isn't the, isn't the rule when you're peeling the potatoes to move the potato, not the knife? Because you just kind of like rotate the potato on the on the blade. I think I've always had very cheap potato peelers, so those ones did not have I did not have that luxury, unfortunately. Uh, and she's like, "Oh God, what am I gonna do?" And he's like, "I'm done washing my hands." She's like, "Shit, go take an hour shower." <laughs> he's like. Oh, man, I had no idea that cooking was so serious. He's, like, in her bathroom showering. (laughs) So she's using this to essentially, like, this time to try to ask for help. So she first emails Ogata and asks her how to make a yummy kari. And I this is clearly a Japanese joke that doesn't translate well because uh, Ogata's like, kari? She means boyfriend? Oh, she wants a boyfriend? What does she mean make? What is she wants to make a human? And what does she mean by yummy? So her response is like the Ogata perfect response. Like, I will most gladly provide you an illuminate answer to your question, but the theoretical explanation will take time to expound. I do not wish to impart the impression that I don't know the answer. That, I assure you, is not the case by any means. And she's like, <laughs> So uh. apparently Ogata knows how to make humans. <laughs> and Firmino's response is like, I'm just going to email Takamoto. <laughs> I they, had to be, they had to be kind of creative because of all the characters that get asked this. Agata, of course, knows how to cook. So Yes. So they had to find a way to... But it makes perfect sense where it's just her being like misunderstanding it and then being like, oh, well, you're asking about boyfriends? Well, this is a very deep and philosophical question to, to delve into with a lot of... She's like, I don't have time for this. I only got an hour. Takamoto, what's up? And uh, Takamoto shows up... Uh, 
of course, providing us with the obvious illumination that she answers all tests by thrusting her butt outwards while, <laughs> while taking them. I'm like, oh, I'm going to text now. Uh, but she gets the text from Ogata, who is like, Fumino wants to make a boyfriend. She specified a desire for him to be yummy. Can you help? <laughs> and Takamoto's response is just spill water all over herself while being dumbfounded and shocked response because the only person she could assume that would be would be Uega. Well, yeah, because obviously he's the yummiest person she knows. <laughs> that is true. So Takamoto passes this off because she's like, I don't know the answer, so I'll have to pass this off to a high priestess of love, <laughs> which is a Shumi, who they email as she's at work, and I like, because when she first gets this, she's like, you know, Asumi, Fumino needs our help, she needs to know how to bag a handsome guy who wears glasses, she's like, I don't know how to put this, why the fuck are you messaging me, I've got work to do! <laughs> But then, of course, you know, she gets buttered up by being like, but you're the only grown-up I love. You seem to have lots of experiences with love. She's like, well, when you do get to be 19, you learn a thing or two about love. <laughs> and I'm like, isn't that, like, the criticism of that Taylor Swift song, 16, when she was, like, talking about the pretentiousness of, like, how stupid you are when you're 16 from the vantage point of 19? At least she knows how to, like, carry herself without getting freaked out. Because was like, so you have a boyfriend? She's like... It's complicated. <laughs> yeah. So they, they mentioned, like, so you have a boyfriend, she's like, you know, it's a, it's a thing. And, uh, <laughs> talking about it's even excited. She's like, eh, that's the kind of thing women and soap operas say. You're so cool. And she's like, huh. Well, what is my experience with love? Hmm. So then she calls Kirasu Senpai because she doesn't have much experience with love either, it seems. And I like how they explain both the two of them essentially use their, like, fake relationships with Uega as explanations for what romantic situation they're in. Because, you know, Karasu's just like, you know, don't you have, like, a boyfriend or anything? She's like, well, if I had one, I could get him any time, you know. Oh, uh, well, I, don't know. I actually have a boyfriend, though my father's already proved him. What about you, Karasu? She's like, uh, don't be silly. I mean, in fact, I have a guy who comes over and cleans my apartment all the time. <laughs> but then, of course, that's all the reason that Kira, uh uh, Asumi needs to just dump the call off onto Kirisu, who then finally has to be the one to be like, alright, here's how the fuck you make curry. I don't even know how we got to this point, but here's a goddamn recipe for it. Uh, because she remembers what Uega said about reaching out and helping everybody and helping each other. So, uh, yeah, Kirisu basically sends her a recipe on how to make good curry. Uh, she, she sends you one and... That's basically the end of the chapter. Well, Even I then, like the way that it all comes full circle because she still interprets the message on how to get a boyfriend. And the only thing that Carissa knows about it is, ah, well, old fashioned curry by Kaniko Mikoda. It is a way, it is a way that explains that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. So here's a recipe for curry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, in the end, uh, she still couldn't make the fucking curries. <laughs> <laughs> they they managed to produce one, but it, it still required everyone's help to get to that point. And uh, <laughs> Uega's sister wasn't happy about it because well, the only thing, the only thing that she cares the only thing that she, I think that she cares about also is the fact that Fumino's hanging around with Uega still. Yeah. So this is a fun chapter. I thought it'd be really hard for any series this week to top Doctor Stone and just like you even come close in terms of hilarity, but 
a lot of the, the jokes in this chapter did get like good chuckles. I mean, like, I I legitimately had to stop and laugh when I I saw Femina was just like go into the bathroom and wash your hands for thirty minutes. <laughs> Shit, I don't know how to cook. Like it's all just a big thing. And then when she demands he goes take a shower for an hour, he's like, okay. Well, and also uh, eventually it gets to the point where he was like, Fumino, I don't have anywhere else to wash. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's too clean. <laughs> Also, Fumino's reaction when Carissa finally bails her out is, God isn't dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was a pretty good chapter. Yep. Okay. Now time for a chapter we're going to get through in four minutes. Two minutes <laughs> tops, maybe, actually. Promise Neverland. Um, it's at least more eventful than the last one. It is not. <laughs> Nick, it is, they're observing, or we're observing him. They're observing me. We're observing you. They're observing me. Man-eaters. Credits. Chapter 61. Try surviving. Wild man-eaters are here. If they find you, you're dead. They'll eat you. Oh, we can't get found. We can't allow them to get near. How much longer do we have to go? Well, it's two hours till sundown. Are we making progress? I don't know if we're making progress. How is that guy moving? We need to learn from him. They're watching me. And then eventually, No Name realizes that something is going on. Uh, after he realizes that eh, things are going pretty well so far. Boring. My thoughts exactly, nameless man. Then a man-eater attacks them. Uh, Emma and Ray dodge out of the way. Uh, they Emma reaches for the gun that uh, Ray has dropped and uh, has to try and get ready to use it. Um, and she has a flash of it biting her head off. Lovely. But No Name shoots it up with his uh, machine gun and uh, floors it. And Emma kind of is in a f- just in a shock, a state of shock. And then Ray shakes her out of it. And uh, No Name says, ah, you thought you died, right? And you would have. You couldn't even pull the trigger. But that was hilarious. <laughs> um. Emma tries to thank him for saving her. Ray's like, we need, we need to get out of here. And then the other like, oh, saved you? Ah, didn't save you. Man-eaters don't die so easily. It'll regenerate quickly and call for its friends. And the meteor gets up, it bellows, starts to call attention to itself. And Emma and, Emma and Ray are like, why didn't you say something earlier? Oh, I did that on purpose. Why? Oh, you know, out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dickhead. <laughs> He ends it by saying, you guys are in trouble. They didn't get to eat you. You attacked one of their own. Now they're pissed. So it's even worse than just having them call the other C. Uh, and that's it. Basically, he's just like, ha, 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 you thought this was going to be easy. Welcome to hell, bitches. Yeah, I should clarify, I'm not saying this chapter was bad. I'm just saying there was very little to this chapter. And there hasn't been a lot to we never learned in a couple weeks now. It's been pretty simple, which is probably yeah, probably And that's not a problem, by the way, guys. To specify, there are a lot of series that just take time to build up to something. You know, One Piece does this pretty frequently whenever they start a new arc. You know, it's just one of those things you got to build up to that. It's actually been kind of nice to not have that much to talk about when it comes to we uh to the Promised Neverland because there's you, so I mean, many you would get drowned by all the series we would have to go through a bunch of stuff for. Yeah. Okay. Alright, so let's jump over then to Seven Deadly Sins, which I realized I got halfway through and 
forgot to finish, so uh, we'll see how that goes halfway through. I'm just going to skip to the end to make sure nothing crazy. Okay, I got a gist of it. All right, so <laughs> Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 241, Inherited Spirit. So last time, the great demon lord Chandler was not <laughs> defeated, and in fact... Chandler had grown so powerful that no man could stop him. No, si- no single force on Earth could be uh, a challenge. But uh, Droll and Gloxidia, the two former members of the Ten Commandments, showed up to save them and to basically intervene and say they were going to defend them and get into a fight here. Uh, and this is something interesting because these are two former Ten Commandments. These are two very powerful characters. But uh, we're also kind of recognizing that Chandler is being built up as somebody kind of higher than the Ten Commandments. Because, you know, it's almost just like, well, with you and not Chandler at my side, I, you know, have my own Ten Commandments again, basically. Uh, So there was uh, basically a fight that happens between them. You know, they do these combo moves, try to trap him. And uh, he's not, he's just, Chandler's too strong. You can't just, you know, put him in a trap and be done with it. So they're trying to essentially say, like, you know, this is to make up for betraying our friends. You know, this is to basically pay back for everything that happened. You guys go, though. And what we kind of realize is this isn't they're here to save the day. This is they're here to keep you from dying (laughs) and probably dying in the process themselves Uh, because they're basically like doing like the go get out of here, we'll hold this guy off. And, uh, and King and Diana are like, we'll help! Vaughn, like, you take care of the others. like, no. <laughs> very much you are not getting the situation here. And they say that, you know, they basically note that for your two species, you know, for giants and fairies to survive, they're, they're going to need people like you, you two specifically, to, you know, lead them. And it's... You know, but pretty cool. It's, it's, uh, you know, sends, they send them on their way and they're like, phew, you know, they, they get to kind of have some sense of peace that presumably their races are going to continue to prosper and survive now. Uh, but that comes to the fact that Chandler breaks out of the prison they put him in and he says, you ten commandments, king of, oh, sorry, king of giants and fairy king. Could you be any more treasonous right now? And they fucking kill some. <laughs> Uh, no, they, they note that they're, they're not Ten Commandments or Kings, which is a fairy and a giant, and they, they have a little bit of a action back and forth, and, uh, there's just the last thought of Melodius, ever since that day you sent us to hell, we've, you've carried out your will for over 3,000 long years. Even though it's only for the love of one girl, that's just something just anybody can imitate, and we're glad we got to see you again. Somehow, some way, as we see the boar hat and the, uh, group, traveling off into the distance we cut back to chandler whose wounds i believe are healing as we just see the bodies of droll and uh selenia down there saying may your suffering pay off one day so it looks like chandler killed the shit out of them yeah those are those are dead vacant eyes uh so yep there you go um okay Basically, I think that what we thought was going to happen at the end of the last chapter, but uh, I thought I thought that it was uh, successful in being a heartfelt little thing and a, a nice kind of tying of loose knots uh, for these characters. Yeah, 
Uh, it's it's a good way to send them off, and uh, I just like the sentiment that they both are like happy that their races are going to like continue mm-hmm. forward. Essentially, like they they put that will out there. Okay. Black Clover, page one hundred thirty-one. Going on ahead. This chapter's bullshit. Yeah, I'm, I feel bad. Annalise is in the chat this week, and she was super. It's... She was super excited when I said like Black Clover. Or I made asked of my character of the week last week, and uh, I'll preemptively say he's not this week. <laughs> At least we're upset for like more kind of fan reasons this time. And I'll fully admit, mine is a rational hatred for everything that is painting McDeer dude. <laughs> <laughs> At least we keep we get to keep calling him that now. <laughs> I've right. honestly forgotten what his actual name is too. <laughs> it's a uh, real, I think. So last time it seemed as though Asta had triumphed over the evil Langris, showed him what for by cutting his crystal in half. But now we see in this chapter that when he beat him and cut the crystal in half that at the same time his barrage of spatial magic had caused Asa's team's crystal to also burst at the same time. What this means for the tournament is that Asa's team and Langris's team are both eliminated in the draw. Which means that the winner of the other semifinal match, or of the other semifinal match, when they get to that point in the tournament ladder, will just be the winner of the whole thing. Yes. That's fucking bullshit. <laughs> it's not. I mean, what the it, fuck? It makes sense in a tournament wise that the other side's eliminated, that it wouldn't no, be a free win. If you for have the a end. tournament, then both teams should advance. <laughs> well, then you'd make it like a three way. Yeah, I mean. Yes! Yeah, but then you also have to get into the question of like, should we allow that guy? Look, it's, uh. <laughs> it's something there where I was like, it just seems weird, but it's also the point I'm like, why continue the tournament then? Like. Legitimately, is the rest of this arc supposed to be the story about who's going to win? You know, or dude, paint deer, McFuck. Like, I don't care about either one of those. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can make that assumption, but it's just like, is that the climax to this? Is like, it can, you know, beat Grill? Grill? Trail? What's his name? What's his name? Will? (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm I'm very skeptical of that I'm 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 hoping that it's like I don't generally hope for tournaments to get interrupted, but this is the point where I'm like I hope the tournament gets interrupted because that's the only way I can see this having like an end that doesn't just feel like a like a letdown. Let's, okay. I, I'll so, be honest. I was kind of looking forward to an Asta Uno you know, showdown, and I guess we could still get one. No, 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 Chris. It's Miata and Ippo. You can't just have the rematch happen. You've got to wait a thousand chapters. <laughs> True. And still, not have any hint of it, of it ever happening. Okay. So, despite the fact that Langris has been completely defeated, and the other two members of his team did nothing. <laughs> The match is considered a draw. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fake Zerks is actually pretty happy with this, right? <laughs> He's so fucking happy. <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck you, you egocentric space case aristocrats. <laughs> He's pretty sealed to be a peasant. That makes you wrong about everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll say the Your entire way of looking at life is wrong. <laughs> the only thing that I I legitimately truly one hundred percent loved about this chapter was I liked we got this speech from the uh, Zora Zerks at the start of it, and it was uh pretty brutal to like everybody there. Now clearly it's it shows clearly it shows that he's learned something from this because it seems to get like a little bit more desperate and a little almost self critical towards the end. It's when he starts perfect, talking about himself. The way he shits on all the shitty people and but, he shows yeah. development. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he just dumps on everybody in the area. He's like, you suck, and you suck, and you suck. And he just roasts everybody around him and then's like, and I suck too. Boom. <laughs> Fuck this tournament. Well, he says, let's see, you fail to be a peasant. That makes you wrong about everything. Nobody's going to acknowledge scum like he was a vice captain. Oh, then he refers to the snow witch as you fluffy-headed snow woman. What did you do? Did you get freaked out by the sage magic aristocrat and just stand there turning green? Must be nice to be you. <laughs> hey there, window dressing. <laughs> like, oh, why? And then Sek is just like, hey, come on now. And Zor just gets right the fuck up in his face. It's like, you've got no skills. You're a cardboard poster. You're the most hopeless type here. Hurry up and get out of the magic nights, you loser. <laughs> He's such a fuck. And then he fucking shouts over it. And fucking, I think he's shouting at the Wizard King. I don't know. He's like, you lousy brat, you trust everybody way too much, Everybody, not everybody's awesome or a good guy that's going to bite you in the butt someday. It looks like you try to make the best move in every situation, but make sure you don't stop thinking when you hit circumstances that go beyond what you imagined. And, hey, cool mass jerk, you should have had more faith in your companions. Aww. Yeah. I love how even when he's tearing himself down, he refers to himself as a cool masked jerk. Yeah, he's like, hey, cool dude guy. Oh, God. All right. So, Asta is obviously upset because despite the fact that he did show Langris, uh, he, did, he didn't win. Uh, it was a draw. But as he's kind of collapsing in exhaustion, uh, Magna and... I think luck as well catch him as he collapses. Uh, everyone gets kind of carted off for more healing. We get a look at uh, Finderol and show that at least he doesn't have giant holes in him anymore. So the healing is at least progressing. And then they're just like, anyway, <laughs> here's the tournament still. So the so one we see is where, oh God, Luck's team where he calls, you know, his teammates over and is like, hey, guys, I've got an idea. And then the other two on Real Steam are just like, we've just got this guy, so if we just support him, we'll win. And then they look over, and Lux Team have made this fucking chariot ballista made of lightning and light and points. And they're like, so we're just going to not let you set anything up and imitate the combo magic the people in the first match used? And make it even crazier and not give you a chance to act and destroy you. Uh, so we're just like, okay, then I'll just draw this thing. And Lux says, no matter what you bring out, it's useless. And they, and he's like, this is the spell that pierces everything. Lightning arrow. It can't be stopped. Shoots this massive arrow and Real's like, 
I suck. I could do everything. Fuck P.T. McDeer, dude. <laughs> Fuck him. He's like, oh, you didn't know? You drove me to my highest level. Why have the perfect fuck you counter magic? Because that's what painting magic's about. Wasn't the whole thing that he... Fuck this guy. <laughs> They literally say, like, your weakness is you don't have to, you need time to set something up, so we won't let you imagine anything or prepare anything. It's just like, uh, okay, I'll just use this thing, which lets me just shoot it back. Yeah, I, I, I need time to set things up. Or I can instantly do it, I guess. Go fuck yourself. So he just shoots the arrow back at them. It pierces their crystal instead and breaks it, and they win. <sighs> so I never thought I was going to say this. But fucking kick his ass, you know. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I'm on Team Meteorite. Like, I hope a meteorite hits the battlefield and they just cancel everything. <laughs> uh, you know, also immediately wins the ma his match. I don't even think we actually get to really see it. No, it's like three panels long, and he's like, "Boom, I won. I showed off." And they're like, "All right, final match time." I'm like. So did you just not want to do the tournament anymore, or was this the end point we just had to show these guys? I, I don't know. I mean, in fairness, Yuno's team went up against a team of guys that, like, we didn't even see their first round match. So, okay. Oh, God. So it's going to be Real's team versus Team Yuno and Noel and Mushroom Guy. Uh, So, yeah. Go, Noel. Um, yeah, I mean, I like Noel. I just, I'm, I'm not pumped at all for you know versus real like i know that's where it was obviously going to go but i was like always thinking well yeah that's just the prelude to you know and noel going up against asta and zerks and mimosa like that's that's the actual fight we're going towards and maybe we'll still get that but I, I, I mean, this one, this fight, I, I give no fucks about, especially with the way they painted real in that fight. It, it, it really <laughs> does, yeah, <laughs> it really does feel like some next level fuckery that he's just like, I counter your attack instantly, but it's okay because you drove me to this point. That's how shonen and you know excitable we've gotten. It's just well, like that's the whole thing. Was that like they made a big deal with Zergs where he, it was like he could counter everything. Because he went to absurd lengths to have a counter ready to go. He fucking painted a rune on his body and tore his body apart in order to use it. And then Real's just like, eh. <laughs> sending everything back at you. It's like, you know, fuck yourself. I understand that, like, you know. I'm glad your fucking butler's dead. <laughs> butler's not dead. I wish he was dead then. <laughs> so I could be glad. Oh, God. What All right. One Piece. Chapter 883, Merienda. Um, so, Luffy is fighting still against Katakuri uh, and getting completely overwhelmed still. He tries to use his muscle balloon technique and Katakuri just swallows him into the floor with a bunch of mochi that he summoned with his awakened ability. Uh, and uh, he, he's like, <laughs> I like the way, the way he puts it, which is, I'm not just going to stand back and watch as you prepare to exhibit power-ups that I already know are coming. So, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> so on one hand, I'm very annoyed, because I'm like, fuck you, 
it is an unspoken rule in Shonen. You just let them do their power-ups. But two, it makes perfect sense to be like, you know I could see into the future and see that's going to fuck me up, right? <laughs> I'm not letting you do that. So he, you know, he calls down all this stuff, uh, uses uh, mochi from all around the mirror world, and make, just piles on a whole bunch of mochi in order to smother Luffy. And uh, he's like, yep, going to suffocate you you with this. And, uh, yeah, uh, sorry I'm going to finish you off this way, but I've been a bit on edge because I got stuck dealing with you. I'm 40 minutes late for my Marienda afternoon snack. <laughs> <laughs> so a bunch of chefs come over, uh, and they're like, we have prepared you today's snack for 3 o'clock, just like always. Sorry, the 40 minutes was plenty of time for the tea to grow cold. And Kakuri's just like, iced tea will do fine. He's, like, He's so considerate. <laughs> So dignified, no matter the case. He's like, now, I am going to prepare my abode, make sure that I am not disturbed uh, as I meditate during supper time, essentially. And everyone's like, nobody's ever seen Master Katakuri in the act of eating. He's such a particular man. He refuses to relax when he eats, not even during his tea time, when the entire point is to unwind and have a chat. Instead, he's stoically treated as a period of intense concentration and nutritional intake. Only the billion berry class linchpin of Big Mom's forces could do such a thing. And then Luffy bursts out of the pile of mochi. He's <laughs> oh, I ate the mochi! <laughs> he's like, why do I have to eat my way out of all my fights here? <laughs> like, because we're food-themed! He's like, oh. So he's just... Even his lips are swollen from all the mochi that he's had to eat. And he's like, where'd Kakuri go? Oh, oh, he's long gone from the mirror world. He had important business to attend to. And Luffy's like, I can sense the voice of someone powerful from in there. Ah, he used observation hockey, and he's eating donuts. Uh, observation <laughs> hockey? <laughs> he's like, I'm smelling donuts. <laughs> And Luffy says, ah, so he's relaxing, huh? He thinks that he's won. No, Master Kurikuri is not relaxing. He is commuting with the god of battle in his own spirit. It's a sacred time for him. None shall be allowed to, to interrupt it. So Luffy runs off, and he comes running back. He's immediately thin again. <laughs> I guess just like, bodies don't work like that. And he has no explanation. It's all he can be like, my daughter. I'm ready to go. He's just like, oh, thank God that weight's gone. Boom. Makes his elephant gun, smashes the little temple that Kaikuri had conjured, and he's in the fucking middle of this little hut that he's made, lying on his back, eating giant donuts, like, oh, no, no, oh, donuts, even the hole is the treat. <laughs> I love the way he describes it, too. He's just like, nom, 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 the ease of which you can eat a donut, the forbidden food, the sinfulness, the donutiness of it all. Now that is true bliss. Thank you, donuts. <laughs> like, this dude fucking loves Donuts. I wish I loved any food as much as this dude clearly lives to eat a donut. And what we see is that underneath his scarf, he's got this massive goddamn mouth. Uh, like, I don't even know how this is, like, physically pop. I guess it's because he uses his mochi powers yeah. to expand his mouth more. Yep. But we also see that he's got these weird, sharp fangs. I don't think that we were ever actually told what species he was. Did we? No, I don't think we ever were given a confirmation on his species or anything like that. 
but he's got these weird sharp fangs and he's got this giant mouth and of course all of the comments about how awesome and badass Katakuri has come back. He's never laid down in his life. A man who even looks down on the earth. He is proud, cold, and powerful at all times. The perfect man. And of course, Katakuri's just like... He's just like, I love donuts. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> They're so donutty. And Katakuri immediately is like, you caught a glimpse of how I look when I eat. And Louis's like, we're not done fighting yet. And Katakuri immediately kills all the chefs that saw him in his state of weakness. They're like, we won't say anything. We won't even try. Not if you try to rip the words from mouths. What did you just say about ripped mouths? <laughs> Sharp mochi. Like, all right. Uh, I, I love. I, so I've, I've been taking some notes for some things. And one of those I took was I was like, at the start of this chapter, I was like, you know, I, I like Katakuri, but he feels over-designed for me. I think the scarf is really just too much. And then I got to the end of this chapter, I was like, holy shit, those sharp teeth make him look so cool. This design is the best ever now. <laughs> oh, man. So there's a suggestion from someone in the chat to do Katakuri with a Homer voice now. <laughs> I can't do a Homer voice before. I could do, like, the dough, and that's it. Mm. Nah, I don't think I can do it either. Can't do Dan Kessel in Other Justice. Sorry, guys. No. I, uh, I can do him as a poo if you would like. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Katakuri does vows to kill Luffy for seeing him in his state of weakness. He's pissed off now and runs in towards Luffy. Uh, Luffy counters his punch with another punch. Luffy gets more of it because, as Katakuri puts it, there are even levels to the color of armament, so they're trading blows, punching each other knuckle to knuckle, and Luffy's the only one getting hurt. Uh, but in a, a, at a certain point, as Luffy's trying to blow on his hands to make them stop throbbing and feeling so bad, he suddenly realizes something and fucking kicks Katakuri right in the jaw. He's like, you didn't dodge. My kick landed. And uh, Katakuri's like, so what? And Luffy's like, I think I'm starting to understand your powers. And Karikuri says, what have you understood? You can't match me. Luffy unleashes gear four. He says, you might be tough, but you're not invincible. And he punches with his Kong gun. And Karikuri is only just able to, to block it as the chapter ends. So I honestly read this these last few pages back several times. And I was like, what did he realize? Like, <laughs> well, I think he's realized that there's some way that his color or his color observation hockey doesn't seem to function when he does something. Like right here, we see he's like going back for a punch, and maybe it's either that he needs sugar to activate it, like maybe he needs a refill on something, or he means that his observation doesn't work. Because the thing that hits him up is him saying, "You didn't dodge," so. That's that's where I think he's he's getting into. I think he's saying that there's some weakness in his I see into the future gimmick. Mm -hmm. So uh yeah. Um I have no idea exactly what it is. I'm gonna be curious to see what it is. Um uh, but I did like this twist. Um I think that it does enough to flesh out Katakuri without completely turning his whole he's super serious and badass thing into a complete joke. It's enough that you can see why he would feel like a sense of pride about himself, 
But it's not like, you know, what Lupicon makes, doing something super embarrassing. <laughs> what also makes sense for why he was, like, telling Brulee to, like, knock it off when she was selling him. Like, it's not something he sells about himself, but he also keeps that part of himself very private. It's probably a part of him It's just like, yeah, I know when I go into my room, though, I just lay down like a big pig and eat donuts all day and get fat. <laughs> <laughs> he just feels super ashamed of himself. <laughs> oh. Um... I love this so, chapter, though. I mean, it's great. we've gotten, what, like, four solid, like, chapters of this fight now, which is crazy. Like, uh, I thought pretty surly we weren't going to get any real, like, long, protracted fight, uh, even from Luffy in this arc. I thought it was going to be maybe along the lines of, like, what we got with Luffy and, like, Hordy Jones, you know, like, a decent fight, but only one that, like, we get glimpses of and then, like, kind of comes to a conclusion with, like, one chapter. But this has been, like, two to three straight chapters now of just solid focusing on this fight, and it's been an excellent one. Um, I think that this was something that the that this arc needed to push it over the top. We've had yes. a lot of good character development moments, a lot of expanding on Sanji's backstory, some interesting characters add to the cast, uh, some funny moments, but... It's been a while since we've had a really, really good One Piece fight, and this is turning out to be a really good one. Absolutely. I'm loving it. And that's it. Uh, that is manga for this week. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Weepy Manga Recap. Uh, we record the show usually at... We'll get to our favorites this week in just a second. Uh, we record the show normally at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, on smashcast.tv slash T and twitch.tv slash T. But to stay updated on that stuff, in case we need to make any changes, you can follow us on Twitter. He's at T and I'm at Wire of Time. And there is also the official at WMR Podcast Twitter account to stay updated on all the official podcast news. Check out our past episodes on weeklymongarecap.podbean.com. Also check us out on our YouTube channel and on iTunes. If you check us out on iTunes, be sure to leave a comment and rating so that you can help us to defeat our eternal rivals, the woodworkers, in the hobby section. Send feedback, ask questions, suggest future manga for us to read in emails to weeklymangarecap at yahoo.com. That is the best way for us to keep track of everything. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We just recorded the Q&A on Monday. Uh, and, of course, we also have the bonus episode, the showdown. Uh, so a lot of stuff has gotten done in the last couple of weeks on that, and we're going to have more to come very soon. And finally, special thanks to Steve Manor Tuckerhouse. You can check out his work on NewRockFanboy.DemonArt.com on his own Patreon, where he keeps all of the Tuckerhouse that he has done for us for, available for free. And uh, special thanks to Infamous Planet. Uh, do we have a series ready to go for next time? Yes, we do. Uh, do we want to do our, our MVPs and everything? Let's, for do, us? let's do our favorites, and then we'll do the suggestion. Okay, uh, favorite series of the week. Mine is One Piece. Uh, I thought that we had some really good chapters this week uh, in general. Uh, like we said, Dr. Stone was really, really funny. And we also did have that cool moment uh, with Deku, uh, you know, punching out Shisaki, uh, another funny chapter we never learn. But uh, I thought that this you know, whole sequence with Kakuri and Luffy was really good. Uh, seeing Luffy pressed all the way to the edge, a sudden in- induction of uh, humor and uh, then the seeming turning point in their fight. All really good from beginning to end. Yeah, I think One Piece is a really good one this week. Uh, I went with Dr. Stone, though, because it was legitimately like, just from front to back a hilarious chapter. Uh, I, I haven't laughed that hard in a while reading the series. Like Just every time they did a joke, it just continued to like up the ante and make it even more hilarious. So 
I really dug that. I like some of the new like little story twists they put into that, and I'm really excited to see what they do uh, next week with it. So I really dug it. Uh, for my character of the week, I'm going to give mine to Takumi uh, mm. from Food Wars. This was a really big chapter for him, I think, in terms of showing where that character has gone, where his growth is, and I think he's uh, gotten significantly more relevant to this narrative. So that's important. And a little bit of a, uh, honorable mention also for favorite series to Gollum Hearts had a really good start. I thought, uh, my favorite character this week, uh, I'm going to give it to Zora, AKA fake Zerks. Uh, he was basically the one thing propping up of an otherwise angry making chapter. I thought that he had a really good rant and uh, a nice little bit of character development in there. Those three pages where he's just going off on everybody are the, are amazing. So, Oh, I should note this because people have suggested in the chat that that be in the nomination for Best Speech, and I will put that in there. But we are quickly coming up now that we're November, guys, on the mm-hmm. end of the year. So we're going to be coming up on our uh, end of the year recap, and we do our supplementary awards at the end of that. So if you guys have any suggestions on those categories, uh, and you know, I'll maybe try to like put those out on Twitter sometime soon. But there's there's pretty standard ones out there of like best fight, best new character, best hero, best villain, best speech, best two page spread. If you have suggestions of that, make sure you let us know so we can add some of those entries to our list for the end of the year and really give a full retrospective for what this year was all about. With that said, I guess uh it's recommendation time. So guys yeah. I teased it before, I can't tease it again. Our recommendation for this month or for this period is going to be the continuation of our bizarre, bizarre adventure as we take a look at JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 4, Diamond is Unbreakable. Is it really, though? Is it? This one is. Okay. Which basically means I will do nothing and Nick has to read this series. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I will watch the last couple episodes of the anime again and Nick reads it all. (laughs) All right. So that's going to do it, everybody. Thank you for joining us as we kick off November on Weekly Manga Recap. We'll see you next time. Bye.